0: Log Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Wow, what a week. This has been busy, so so a whole bunch of stuff has happened. Uh, it's really crazy, uh, incredible, especially yesterday with our, our discussion with Ed Dowd, who is Wall Street um, guy, you know, just a, an amazing person, created billions of dollars of wealth for for clients with BlackRock, and then went on to analyze because um, he worked with public health stocks a lot. So it's fascinating to talk to him yesterday and find out how he got from uh, from BlackRock from from you know making all this money, which is a good thing, um, to uh, looking at. Uh, these statistics of morticians and insurance companies with all these people dying, you know, starting in 2021. And it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, what's going on here. And so that's his book, uh, cause unknown, excuse me, cause unknown, the, the unexpected rise of death, death rates. let well, that's not exactly this title. Look for cause unknown. My apologies, Ed. Um, but, um, I wonder if I have from yesterday's note, you know, let me see if I can find it here. That's, that's, I, I feel bad now. So it's uh, cause he was such a good guest. Let's see if I can. In fact, if anything, I uh, I probably over prepared a little bit because I really want to make sure I covered this book. And I actually read the whole thing, uh, which is unusual. I don't read a whole lot, but I managed to get through this pretty quickly because there's a lot of charts, a lot of graphs, a lot of things like that. All right, so let's get to the book title. Is uh, that's the wrong one? Where's my one from yesterday? There it is. Oh, how'd that get there? Oh, huh. all right. Anyway. Scrolling down through here. See, I keep a record of every show, so I can go back over the show notes of any show. Here we go. Cause unknown, the epidemic of sudden deaths in 2021 and 2022. So that's the way it's supposed to be. Of course, now my question is, how did that one get before that one? So now what I need to do is go to my view section here and list by, sort by, date created. Oh, I see, because I did do that one earlier. Okay, now it makes sense. I understand what I did. Computers are a weird thing. So, yeah, I actually started preparing for that show about three or four days ahead of time. So that's what happened there. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm boring you. I'm, you know, let's get to our main topics. All right. So we had Ed yesterday. Uh, everybody's schedules rearranged this week. People are calling in at different times. It was a mess. <laughs> and in fact, I started yesterday and late. And so this week, I'm just going to catch up on sleep and, and you know, get ready for next week because things have been a little crazy. I uh, had a great time just in case anybody was, was following my, my individual activities, uh, doing some jamming down in the Gulf Breeze at a place called the Country Gym. And they have an open mic night uh, from 8 till 11. And I had a blast. I had a great time. Uh, but I can't do it with my work schedule, so I'm going to have to uh, stop that. So next time I appear someplace, I'll let you know. But I do play guitar um, openly <laughs> in front of real people. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll let you know, especially when I get a band, what's happening with that. But that's my outlet. That's that's my fun. That's my that's – my, uh, when I'm not here, you know, and I'm doing well. I'm not here or bike riding or the gym or – you know, taking up archery or you know learning how to throw axes and things like that. And that's what's going on. Um, so, after the show today, uh, I'll be doing an interview with um, Jason Myers of Stand Your Ground, and we play his commercial here every day. And so he's been amazingly helpful to me and helpful to the show as well. So I don't know. He's going to teach me axe throwing. I tried it once and I uh, managed to get a few to stick. So we might try that. Um, archery I wanted to do, but apparently I broke a, one of the arms of my bow. You know, I was restringing it, so I have to replace that. It's, it's, it's older, uh, but I don't think I strung it right because I hadn't done it for so long, so I have to uh, do that. So I'll get back to archery, too. Anyway, have your outlets. Have things that make you um, totally divert away from politics. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy, and that's, that's one of the secrets of it. Calman's on Live Chat. So, Calman, good morning. How are you doing? And we'll, uh, we'll get him on, and hopefully uh, uh, Marco from Netherlands will check in, too. Yeah, unless, oh, I think they're on a four-day week, so maybe he doesn't check in on Fridays. I like four-day weeks, personally. Um, whenever I was working, whenever I could, I'd work four tens and I got three days off, which was much better uh, in terms of work than uh, um, than five eight hour days, which is insane. Four ten hour days, much better for you. That third day, you know off uh, is just incredible. The, that third day you don't have to commute because if you're working an eight hour day, you, you've got you know eleven to twelve hours involved in your work day. You got to get up, get ready, make breakfast. You know, you got to come home, make dinner, relax. You know, by the time you're done, that eight-hour day is at least 11 or 12 hours of commitment. Uh, oh, so comment does archery, too. Okay, great. Um, so if you're in the neighborhood, Stand Your Ground has a range. And I don't know who else does, but we'll we'll get to that later. Maybe we'll get a little action radio archery, uh, you know, competition. And we'll see who the action radio Robin Hood is. It could be kind of fun. All right, so today's show is different, as they always are. And the title is Donald Trump versus Robert Kennedy the No Deep State 2024 election? And so I was thinking about this. I saw that um, yeah, I should to recurve. I don't, I don't do the longbow. I just do, I just have one recurve, but I still have like I say, it's uh, the arms are detachable, so I just have to replace one of the arms. I might replace both of the arms because if the first one goes, you know, it's like headlights. You know, one goes, the other one might go too. So and it's older bow, and I don't want to snap it. Snapping, you know, when I'm drawing back and firing. Um, so back to the back to the title of the show. So we've got this this fascinating lineup and. What occurred to me is that the Democrats hate Robert Kennedy, and for the same reasons that the Republicans hate Donald Trump, they're outsiders. They don't play ball. They don't want business as usual. They don't want corruption. They actually want government to work. <laughs> you know, they 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 love the country. Now, granted, they are one's a Democrat, one's a Republican, and they have different ways of going about things. But uh, Robert Kennedy, to me, is is the classic you know decent liberal. You know, he's the one, and they say anti-vaccine, you know. Well, yeah, because they suck. <laughs> you listen to Ed Dowd yesterday, all the people that are dying from these things. I've been anti-vaccine since uh, since the anthrax scare during the uh, Gulf War, you know, in the early 2000s, actually the 90s. There, was a, there were previous uh, vaccine problems, uh, probably about mid-90s. You know, I would call myself an, you know, I don't, I don't like the term anti-vaxxer. I would just say pro-health. So I'm pro-health, and you can't be pro-health and pro-vaccine at the same time because one works and the other doesn't. <laughs> Anyway, and, uh, Judy Mikeovitz was on the show yesterday too, Dr. Judy, and she called in when – I asked, I asked her to, so I told her when it, that was going to be on because apparently they know each other, which is great, and they're going to be working uh, uh, working together, um, you know, somehow uh, – I shouldn't read messages and talk on the air at the same time. It doesn't work. Anyway, so it would be interesting to see because Judy has a program. Again, I'm rambling a little bit. Global Tech MD, so Judy's new health plan. For us, it's called Global Tech MD, and it's, it's a way to get away from, you know, government, corporate, Rockefeller, oil-based, uh, traditional – well, not traditional, but actually non-traditional, you know, factory-based, government-inspired medicine. And so that's going to be really interesting because you let the government be in charge. And there's one thing one, – I didn't get to ask Ed yesterday, which I, I probably uh, should have, but we got, we got so busy talking about everything. And, and a lot of times, I'll, like I say, I like to let my guests talk. And so I talk now. You know, they talk then. And so he was um, uh, talking about just the, the, the whole entire health industry and, and how bad it is and corrupt and everything else. And so I just let him go. But I wanted to know if the, the COVID um, part of it, he says, was oh, just a way to control people and a bunch of other stuff. You got to listen to the interview. It's very detailed. Um, but I think that uh, COVID was a way to bring in a national health care without calling it that. So in other words, the government through their, their CMS, the, um, the, the, the Medicaid, services. I forgot what the C stands for. Um, but they're the ones that give all the money out for Medicare, Medicaid, things like that, which basically controls all the money in medicine because so many people who are in medicine are in the Medicaid system because it mostly caters to older folks. I think it exclusively caters to older folks. Um, well, pretty much. Um, and that's, you know, that's where the most of the money is is in the latter. You know, Most of your health budget is spent in your last two years of life rather than, as Ed Dowd says, he says, that's not the way it's supposed to be what you're supposed to do is live a healthy life and then, you know, get sick for a couple of days and die, you know, real quickly. That's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, instead of, you know, what we have now is 20 years of decline through a bunch of uh, medicines and problems and things like that. So I tend to agree with that, but, you know, being in my you know mid sixties now um, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting that I feel fine. <laughs> I mean, I really do. And so getting better all the time as I get healthier and, you know, lose a little more weight and do some other things. Um, so, you know, I hope to be one of those people that, lives, you know, and then just, you know, all of a sudden after a couple of days, I'm gone. <laughs> okay, I can handle that or in my sleep or whatever. Uh, so we shall see. But I think we can do that by simply getting away from a lot of the health practices that are out there. So back to Donald Trump and back to um, Robert Kennedy. So Robert Kennedy is the son of Robert Kennedy. Uh, he's Robert Kennedy Jr. He has a voice, um, some kind of disease that makes, him, makes it hard for him to talk. So you have to listen carefully. And so something's missing. That just makes it very difficult for him, which is tough in politics because a booming voice, you know, makes a big difference. Look at Donald Trump. It, it just it does. Or, or, you know, whiny, whiny Biden, you know, whiny Biden sounds terrible, uh, but voice makes a difference. You know, if you uh, Hillary Clinton, nobody can listen to Hillary Clinton, especially men, because, you know, she sounds like all our ex-girlfriends and ex-wives. <laughs> you know, so that, that's why no men don't listen to Hillary Clinton. It, it's not her fault. I mean, there's a lot of reasons not to listen to Hillary Clinton. You know, she wants to be a dictator. That's that's the most important reason. Uh, she lies. You know, like most people breathe, you know, so, you know, 80 times a minute. (laughs) So it's got to actually be a good campaign focus. Hillary Clinton lies the same rate that most people breathe, 80 times a second or or 20, whatever whatever the breathing rate is. I mean, I I just think what's the pulse rate, 60 to 80 for most people? Anyway, I digress. But the point is that Hillary Clinton's voice makes people, especially men, not want to listen to her. Um, And so despite the, the horrible things she says, we wouldn't listen to her anyway, even if they were good things, but they're not. So. So that makes a difference. Anyway, so that's, that's Robert Kennedy's challenge. And for our challenge is to listen to him and actually listen to what he's saying, not how he sounds. And so you want to get away from that. But here's the thing, though. he His own family, you know, he's not doing the traditional Democrat thing, which would be government power, vaccines, mandates, all that kind of stuff. He knows that these things are dangerous. In fact, I, I uncovered something really interesting in my research, which really started, you know, last night and this morning for the show, that apparently there was a vaccine commission that uh, Trump wanted. In 2017. Now, this is two years before anybody ever heard of COVID. So, and Robert Kennedy was supposed to be on it, but somehow got sabotaged. Well, who would sabotage something in 2017 who knew COVID was coming? Dr. Fascist would. Now, I don't have a connection yet. I don't know where I'm going to go with this, but it, it, it seems to me that these two sh- were, were destined to meet uh, in a vaccine commission before anything happened. Uh, and the people that knew that COVID was coming because they planned it uh, didn't want the meeting. So now it seems to me the perfect time for them to meet. So here's what I'm hoping, and I'll be I'll be addressing some some behind the scenes folks in the Trump campaign uh, that I happen to know uh, you know personally, and <laughs> um, some that I don't know personally, but I know enough to be able to write them. And so what I'm hoping is that uh, these two, Robert Kennedy uh, and Donald Trump, talk. And they talk behind the scenes that they agree to a, a gentleman's campaign where they actually talk about issues with each other. And they do have you know, vast differences in issues. I'll tell you one thing that I want Trump to do that Kennedy would not like, uh, and that's for Trump to uh, overturn um, John Kennedy uh, back in the 60s, his executive order that created federal uh, unions, employee unions. That should be done away with immediately. Another, another one that I think actually Robert Kennedy might approve of um, is, the, is the inclusion of Schedule F which would take some 50,000 bureaucrats who make policy um, and uh, take away their civil service protection and make them able to be fired like anybody else in, in private industry, uh, especially because if they're making policies against what the president wants, like most of the government did when Trump was there the first time, this is critical. Now, Of course, Brandon got rid of it because he was told to. and so, uh, that, But that needs to come back. Uh, in fact, I think the House passed a resolution that Trump can't bring back, Schedule F, but I don't think it passed the Senate. So, you know, that's okay. I mean, Congress can block it, but that's going to be really unpopular, uh, especially when the public finds out about it. So, what's, uh, so what is it about Donald Trump, Trump and Robert Kennedy that their parties despise them? <laughs> you know, and, and, and does that make them the perfect pair to work together? I think so. So here's what I hope will happen. I do not uh, want Robert Kennedy to be, to be president over Donald Trump. Now, if he wants to do it after... You know, I I might very you know in 2028 uh, I might very well support Robert Kennedy for president. I don't care if he's a Democrat. I want the best person. So this show has never been about you know supporting Democrats or Republicans. Uh, I I think both their parties need to go away. The, you listen to the show here. I mean, I was you think I call the the, the the GOP the gelding old party because I like them? <laughs> no. I think they're just as corrupt as the Dem- you know they as corrupt as the Democrats. They're just not as good at it. Uh, that's the thing. So, so the only saving grace of the Republicans is that they're incompetent uh, political oppressors as opposed to the Democrats who are exceptional political oppressors. They're really good at it. And so that's their greatest danger. And so as Trump, you know, wants to uh, has come out of the outside crowd uh, from the Republicans and Kennedy gets it from the outside crowd from Democrats, um, this would be a fascinating thing. So my ideal scenario is that Trump wins the presidency in 2024. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy is appointed Secretary of Health and Human Services. He totally cleans up the FDA, the the uh, CDC, the NIH, you know, of course, not, not just Dr. Fascist, who's retired, uh, but is prosecuted, you know, and all those people all the way down the line, but all the health Nazis, you know, in the um, in the departments of, of health and all the Medicaid, you know, bureau and all, all those things all the way through, he totally cleans that out. Might want to work with Ben Carson on that because Ben Carson, I think uh, has his heart in the right place, but he doesn't, he's not, he's a neurosurgeon. He's not a, you know, he's not one to, to take a scalpel to government employees. He's better when it comes to actual brain operations, you know, which he does amazingly well, but that doesn't make you a good, you know, bureaucrat, uh, you know, slicer and dicer of uh, unnecessary people and of course, you know, throwing their asses in jail. So that's what I, I've got a bunch of articles. I'm not going to get to them uh, right now because we've got Derek coming up and he might even call little early today. Because I think you have to leave a bit early, too. And so, uh, so we'll see what we can get as far as our financial chat. A lot is happening. Um, obviously, the price of gas is going up because the price of oil is going up because the supply of oil is going down. Duh. Supply and demand. What did you think would happen? <laughs> you know, uh, relying on the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? Dumb idea. All right. So I want to kind of get away from that a little bit this morning for now. I mean, I'll come back to all these things. But I'm, I want to let you think about that. Think about a, a Trump versus Kennedy uh, 2024 campaign and how good that would be in terms of um, honesty, integrity, and a decent election. I think with two of them would campaign. They would campaign, you know, obviously very enthusiastically and, and with a lot of strength for their their positions. But I don't think it would degenerate into the usual name calling problems and things that happen when the deep state people, you know, I don't, think, I, I can't see Kennedy doing, you know, Russian collusion, which was total BS, or 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 getting rid of Trump just because. He might interfere with uh, um, something that some, some little pet project of the deep state that they want to do that they don't want anybody to know about. Because I don't, I don't think Kennedy's in the deep state, uh, which is interesting for a family that is in, as involved in politics as any family ever has been, going back to Joe Kennedy uh, when he was allegedly, you know, uh, running alcohol into the country. You know, he was a rum runner uh, back to the, during the depression. You know, I've seen sources say absolutely. I've seen sources say yeah, maybe. But at this point, it's it's just kind of interesting. Um, so so something else happened. A couple other things about, this Let me get to my announcements here. Uh, a small plane crashed off the coast of Florida. And so being a pilot, being a flight instructor, and being someone who wants to get back into it as soon as possible, uh, this kind of thing interests me. And so let me see if i got the story for you here. Uh, it says here, gut-wrenching, four, four killed in Venice, small plane crash. Now, whenever people are killed in a small plane that doesn't, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, crashes shortly after takeoff, hits water, and you can ditch in the water. It's only 20, 20 feet deep, so it wasn't that far out. Uh, and they're all killed. Something, something's wrong here. And, of course, the media always misses it. But it says two couples visiting from Indiana were killed after their small plane went down in the Gulf of Mexico near Venice uh, fishing pier. So everybody saw it happen. Um, one thing is it was at night. You know, maybe not a good thing to fly at night, especially after you've had a busy day. Uh, maybe a couple of drinks at dinner, which pilots can't do and, and uh, fly. But, you know, you know, who knows if they had something at lunch. Point being, they might have been tired. And that's the first thing you do. The first thing you don't do is you don't fly when you're tired. So that might have been a contributing factor. So this is Venice, Florida. Two couples visiting from Indiana were killed after the small plane went down in the Gulf of Mexico about a half mile from the Venice Fishing Pier Wednesday night. So everybody saw it, right? The plane went down around 9.30 p.m. Again, that's kind of late to be flying. You know, get a good night's sleep, go the next morning. The weather's better. The visibility is certainly better, (laughs) you know, and there you go. Uh, And it says after taking off from the Venice Municipal Airport, the crash was called in by a witness on the pier, who apparently was a pilot, too. Of uh, course, a lot of folks, you know, in Florida are. Uh, it says the four victims were identified. The names, you know, that's not as significant to me as what happened. Uh, it says the a couple, the couple left St. Petersburg Airport for for Venice in a Piper P A thirty two R single engine plane Wednesday around five o'clock. So there's okay. So they flew in from Indiana, St. Petersburg. Okay, so the they they met friends for dinner at Sharky's on the pier and flew out of Venice Airport around nine thirty five. The plane crashed shortly after takeoff. Okay. So, first of all, if you go to dinner with friends, stay the night. <laughs> this, this is my first advice for pilots. You know, I, have I gone to dinner? Yeah, I actually had uh, one of my students. We flew into, um, what's that big steak uh, place? This huge steak where there's a restaurant that actually is an airport. I mean, Learjets fly, I mean, business jets fly into this place. And it's like the, 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 it's like, it's not Omaha Steaks, it's the Omaha, but this is, this is, you know, some fabulous steak. Anyway, we flew in there um, and uh, of course we were well-rested, flew in, in in the late afternoon, left at night and we're fine. You know, didn't drink obviously, <laughs> you know, uh, but so, and we're tired, that was the main thing. So we flew in, well-rested, had dinner, flew out, well-rested, flew home, no problem, right? Uneventful, you know, so didn't make the news, um, but that's how you're supposed to do it. And I was very big on that as a student and as an instructor and as a pilot and the, you know, all that kind of, and my students as well. Anyway, so, that's, so this is the evidence. So they flew out uh, 935. And it says, while a debris field from the crash was located Wednesday night, means they hit really hard, right? That teams weren't able to, okay. So, uh, says, now, here's what's interesting. It says, it's the second fatal crash that originated from the airport in recent months. So now we look for patterns, okay? Now, is the FAA going to look for patterns? I don't know. I do. Uh, and that's what uh, was so interesting about Ed Dowd yesterday. He, I think I think like he does, and I'm always in a search for patterns. What if? What does this mean? How does it fit into the picture? What's the puzzle? What's going on here? So this is in early December, a St. Petersburg family pilots, uh, da, 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 the names I won't mention, was killed when they rented, uh, they rented Piper Cherokee, crashed into the Gulf after they got dinner in Venice. <laughs> what is it about dinner? <laughs> so so what, what do I have in common? We have uh, families. We have Piper Aircraft, and we have dinner in Venice in common. I don't know. (laughs) What can we make of this? He says, well, the National Transportation Safety Board is the lead investigator in the crash. Venice police and other agencies are assisting. Okay. Here's what you didn't hear. You didn't hear uh, something that I heard on One American News. When they interviewed somebody, they interviewed a pilot. And the pilot uh, on the pier who saw the crash said the engine sounded just fine. So it doesn't sound like they're in trouble. OK, so when an airplane crashes like that, one of the things you suspect is uh, the engine quit. Well, the engine didn't quit. You know, maybe they ran out of fuel. Well, apparently they didn't do that either. Uh, so the engine was running when it crashed uh, and apparently it sounded just fine. So that's not a problem. So now we've got to look to the pilots. It, it usually comes down to pilot error at some point. So now we've got an airplane, um, which is a Piper, you know, pa 832 r uh, otherwise known as a Saratoga, and the last person that crashed, I know, into Saratoga was John Kennedy Jr., same airplane. I uh, don't know if for the same reason um, he crashed because he got into bad weather and he was flying into instrument conditions and he was not an instrument pilot. And he got into what they call the graveyard spiral. In other words, you think you're level, but you're actually in a turn. And so when you, you start losing altitude, because you do in a turn unless you, you know, pull back on the stick, because a turn is actually a climb at an angle. And That might be hard to visualize, but think of when you turn an airplane, uh, the control surface that keeps you in the turn are the elevators, the things that make the nose go up. So what keeps an airplane in a turn and the nose keeping going up are the elevators. That's what turns an airplane. You bank the airplane to start the turn, but once you're in the bank, the plane just stays in the bank and then you just pull back on the stick and the elevators are actually what turn the airplane. So a turn is actually a climb. So if you're in a climb at an angle and you pull back on the stick, the turn gets tighter. And it gets tired to the point where the G-forces are so extreme it can actually pull the wings off. Uh, and that's what they call the graveyard spiral, and that's what we think happened to John Kennedy Jr. Uh, contrary to those who think he's still alive, I'm not convinced. Anyway, because I've, I've taught spirals, and I've taught how to get into them and certainly how to get out of them. <laughs> you, have to, you have to show people how to get into them. But the really important thing is to show people how to get out of them. It's like stall training. You know, we stall the airplane. In other words, you, you take all the lift off the wings you know, to show people not how to get into them, but, you know, why you don't want to get into them close to the ground because it takes a certain amount of altitude to recover. So Saratoga is a powerful airplane. Can it carry four people? Yep, sure can. Uh, It's got six seats, you know. Do you want to fill all six seats? Uh, I I go by the two-thirds rule, you know, so my two-thirds rule or three-quarters rule. So in other words, a six-place airplane shouldn't have more than four people. A four-place airplane, you know, if it has four, You better not have bags or much fuel. You better have about like half tanks, or or a a four-place airplane is actually best with two people, some bags and full tanks. So, so a lot of these airplanes they'll have more seats uh, than they have capacity for because you might have a short flight with six people as opposed to a long flight with two people, you know. And so that's that's how you got to learn how to load airplanes. So my first suspicion is that the plane possibly was overloaded. They went to dinner. You know they bought some stuff, you know they were going away for the weekend, maybe it was a vacation. you know they, they the bags were too heavy, they didn't weigh them. you know, who knows what happened? so my, my first suspicion is that the airplane was overloaded. My second suspicion is that it was out of CG. that means out of center of gravity, and so anytime you fly a small plane, you have to do what's called a weight and balance calculation. You have to calculate a, are you carrying too much weight and b are you carrying the weight in the right place on the airplane so that it stays balanced, so that your center of gravity doesn't move? Because there are only certain, there's a certain range at which the center of gravity of the airplane has to remain if you're going to be able to fly it. You know, so in other words, if the rudders work, the elevators work, the ailerons work, uh, the engine works, the control surfaces of the engine, you know, if, if, the, if the center of gravity is out of the, quote, envelope, then adding power, taking away power, or using your controls, elevators, ailerons, and rudder are not going to work right. (laughs) You know, they might not work at all. They might work opposite, you know, depending on where your, your center of gravity is. So the center of gravity is usually behind, I think it's what they call the center of lift. So in other words, on the wing, the center of the wings is where the center of lift is. That's where your lift is. So you want your center of gravity behind that um, so you can make things work. If it's a head, it's got problems. But anyway, uh, I've I got to refresh my aerodynamics. So anyway, so the plane was probably – had four people, so it had, had a load. Uh, they didn't take on fuel, so they obviously uh, – I don't think they were overloaded with fuel. Uh, so I suspect more that they're, they had too much baggage in the back possibly. But I don't know. You know, we, they didn't report on the baggage. But the reporters don't think of that because they're not pilots. So this is a powerful airplane. It's got a 300-horsepower engine. Uh, it can cruise. They say a normal cruise is 177 knots. That's like 190 to 200 miles an hour without a calculator. It's, it's fast. It seems really fast. It's fast and it's powerful. It's got a big engine. Um, but I don't know how qualified the pilot pilots were. So that's a different thing. So it had obviously enough power to get off the runway and take off. But why would it crash shortly afterwards? And I'm wondering if something in the airplane moved. And if all the luggage in their climb fell to the back of the airplane, uh, and, and the elevators and, uh, were no longer effective and the ailerons and rudders were no longer effective, you'd have a problem. <laughs> and that's probably what happened. All right. So we got Derek. I'm going to go right to him. He's calling in a few minutes early. And this is good because I think he, I don't know, Eric, do you, do, do you want to leave a few minutes? Uh, excuse me, Derek. Did you want to leave a few minutes early or are you okay for uh, till the top of the hour?
1: Um, yeah, if, if I could leave a few minutes early, that would help. Uh, okay, of yeah, course you can. Just I'm, let me know. Make sure I made the show today.
0: <laughs> well, I'm really glad you did too, because I love talking to you. And I know you've been busy, I know you've uh, you know done some other really cool stuff, and that's that's wonderful. But uh, that's that's action radio. You know, you, you want to show up? Uh, I'm glad to have you. You got stuff to do? Uh, go for it. <laughs> you know. Anyway, yeah. um, I was just talking about. Do you, are you? Did you get aviation experience when you are in the military, or do you have any uh, civil aviation experience in small airplanes?
1: Not for not for flying. I mean, um, you know. I mean, I, I'm. Pathfinder qualified, which means I know how to do drop zones and I know how to do, uh, you know, uh, uh, drop zones for parachuting stuff, you know what I mean? So I have to understand, like, how slow they can fly, what wind, wind cross does to an aircraft. I mean, you know, fuel ratios, weight ratios, stuff like that.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, that's interesting. The, 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 the parachute crowd, is, I would contact uh, Captain Jimbo for that. He's our, he's our local uh, parachute expert and skydiver. I've never had the desire to leap out of a perfectly good airplane, as they say. Do you have jumps now that, I'm, now that I think about it? You must.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 I've got quite, got quite a few. I've got oh, okay. um, uh, 40, 41 static line and uh, 13 uh, free fall. How, wow. How far did you free fall? Now that we're off topic, <laughs> just curious. Uh, Eighteen thousand was as high as I went. Wow!
0: And where'd you pull the shoot? Like about three thousand or five thousand, or where'd you uh, pull it? Yeah.
1: So so for- First, first times were um, about about three thirty five hundred somewhere around in there, and then we did one um, one what they call a, a you know your your low open or one extreme, and we were right mm-hmm. at about two thousand, which is um, you know I mean in in operations you you potentially could be lower than that depending on w- what you're going into, but uh, mm-hmm. it's a it's a safety issue. Uh, the military won't let you do that unless it's uh, unless you're you're basically. Uh, <laughs> Unless you're, uh, unless you're basically have to do it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so the, the SEAL teams and the classified stuff, I don't want to get into, but just for, for, just for comparison. So if you're at 2000 feet and you're falling, you're falling at terminal velocity, um, I forgot what that is. How many seconds are you from the ground at 2000 feet? Just free falling. Um, I can't
1: remember the ratio, but I think it's like, uh, (laughs) not very much. I think it's, I think it's like, like 10 Ten seconds, yeah. okay, yeah. So that puts in perspective.
0: Oh, two thousand feet—that's a long way up. That's almost half a mile. Yeah, but in ten seconds, you can cover that distance, and so that—that uh, that really puts it uh, into perspective. Well, I was curious about this because I was a flight instructor. In fact, I—I'm uh, sure I'll get you flying uh, at some point here once uh, you know you make me a fabulous amount of money, and then uh, and then away we go. Or actually, radio does. But uh, uh, that's been my passion anyway. There's two airplanes that have crashed from the same airport. Both the the, the pilots and, and passengers went to dinner. You know, and they took off at night and they went over the ocean. And it just seems to me kind of strange. That's why I was wondering if you had uh, any knowledge of that. Anything around here? Not
1: Not when it comes to the the aircraft. Um, You know, I mean, I I do understand it. I understand the lift. I understand how it works. You know, I mean, so it's all basic knowledge. I mean, I just don't have anything about, you know, how to fly itself.
0: You no, know, that's my department. Okay, fine. <laughs> well, because well, yep. uh, I want to get into the economics of, of bringing back general aviation, but we'll do that another time. So let's get the report. Let's see what's going on in the news. And then let's talk about oil. <laughs> Anything
1: else you want to talk about? Oh, all right. Um, yeah, let me. I was sitting oh, there talking. And I didn't it. pull it up. So give me just a oh, second. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. He's already thinking vacation, folks.
2: <laughs> He's mine right, right, right.
0: You know, on your last trip. <laughs> Whenever you're ready, sir. I'll just wrap nope. It's <laughs> coming up. Okay, fine.
1: Yeah. All right. I got it. Here we go. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. This is uh, Derek with uh, the Action Radio Financial Report. Equities rise modestly as growth con- concerns persist. Stocks closed higher on Thursday as the technology and communication services sector led the gains. U- the weekly U.S. jobless gains figure came in above expectations on Thursday morning, a negative surprise with a reading of 228,000 versus expectations of 199,000. This adds to the recent slew of data that points uh, that points pointing to a potential softening labor market ahead. Meanwhile, Treasury bonds yields continue to hover around their lows for the with a two-year Treasury around 3.8, percent well below its recent high of 5.1, the move, the move uh, lower in yields is likely driven by both expectation of a slowing economy as well as markets pricing and rate cuts by the Federal Reserve in the second half of the year. Page two.
0: <laughs> there we go. I was waiting for that. <laughs>
1: yep. Yeah. Uh, hold on, come on. I've got to scroll you can see on my like tablet. Paul
0: Harvey, though, and now
1: page 2 yeah, you do it way better <laughs> us so equity closed higher today the dow jones up 3 points or 0.01% to 334485 the nasdaq closed up 91 points or 0.76% to 12088 and the s&p 500 closed up 15 points or 0.36 to 4105 Get in the bond market. Ten year, ten year, year treasury yield is clo- is at three point three percent higher by point oh one. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was down fifteen cents or point one nine to eighty forty six. In the spot spot of uh, gold, or spot price of gold was down thirteen dollars or point six four to two thousand twenty two and sixty cents. This is. Derek Park with the Action Radio uh, Financial Report, and you can get me at eight five zero nine nine five zero zero eight
0: two. Hmm. So it's interesting to say gold was down to two thousand, but last time we talked, it wasn't nineteen hundred and something. So it had to have gone up at some point to come down to two thousand and twenty two dollars. Seems like the, the trend oh, is yeah, up. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, it wasn't much higher. It got to, got up to about two thousand fifty dollars. Um, okay. You know, last time that we were talking, it was around um, 1850. You know, 1800, mm-hmm. somewhere around Right. There. Right. Um, yeah. You know, so so gold, gold and silver both spiked. Um, you know, on news that um, you know we we could potentially be close, uh, tipping closer to recession.
0: Well, wait, 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 wait. Not against you, but I mean, this is nonsense. We both have talked for a year that we've been in a recession for a long time. It's not the end of two quarters of negative growth. It's the beginning, you know, that uh, those two quarters. Yeah. And then I think the, the recession really started when Brandon was, was put in the White House because he cut yeah. the oil, he cut the supplies, you know, he, he caused the massive price increases. He caused the shortages. He, he's, they spent, he and the Congress, both Republicans and Democrats spent like they, you know, they spent so much money they didn't have it. So they had to make it, they had to print it. And so they've been printing, right. and every time they print dollars, that creates inflation. Inflation creates recession because everything gets more expensive because your dollar is worth less. So the idea that we're worried about a, a recession coming, that's like, you know, I mean, we shouldn't use the Titanic metaphor, but it's like after, after people are sitting in the lifeboats going, gee, I wonder if this was a good idea to take an ocean trip. You know, I mean, wait a minute. You know, maybe this trip might be a problem. You know, it's, it's too late. It's already happened. You know, the events happen. Yeah. You know, it's like your airplane's taking off. Should
1: we go to the airport now? Yeah. Economic Information Board, I I could be butchering that name, um, Mm -hmm. basically is looking for about five indicators. Um, We've checked off four except unemployment. Unemployment needs to uh, go up about half a percent for them to say, okay, we met the conditions to say that we've been in recession. Um, You know, so there's Hmm. there's, this basic talk that says, um, I mean, you have to understand also last year, two of the quarters were negative, two of the quarters were positive, but we closed the year in positive GDP, not by far. You know, it was only by like one. Just by enough. We, we're, we're, <laughs> the yeah, numbers were, we're, we're tweaked, tweaked just enough. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Um, huh. You know, so uh, if unemployment spikes, then, you know, they may say, hey, we've we've entered recession. But typically by the time they say you've entered recession the market has potentially bottomed halfway through it. So if they mark that we've been in recession, the market has already bottomed, right? Um, And, and, you know, statistically, the recovery has began. Um, You know, if they say, okay, recession has just begun then, the market may or may not have bottomed. um, And that's what everybody's concern is. So, you know, uh, J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley seem to think that um, if they do announce recession, that we've got another 10 to 15%, that the market's going to go backwards. Um you know, um, because they of, announce uh, uh, it? So is
0: it is it, is it the self
1: fulfilling prophecy effect? Well, there's gonna be an immediate panic, right? When when you announce your session you know, what I mean, uh, you know, most people think oh eight oh nine. You know, what I mean, they're just like, oh my god. You know, what I mean, my money's going to go down half a percent. So there's going to be, I, I don't want to say that there's going to be a run on the market. It, it really depends on um, what the news gets gets with it. You know, what I mean, if the news gets mm-hmm. stupid and starts making all these crazy predictions like they do, yeah, there could be a run on the market.
0: Okay, this is weird though because if you see the effects of a recession, if you see and I guess the, the the general one is unemployment. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in a recession, it means reduced economic activity, which means things aren't produced as much. Prices generally rise during a recession because no one's making stuff. So your supplies are reduced, So your demand goes up, you know, or even if demand remains stable. So recessions, you know, things are bad. Not as many people can find jobs. Yeah. But the, the unemployment part is the interesting part, because if I remember how they were measure unemployment, uh, the U... Is it the, the U6 rate is the one they give all the time? Uh, part of that is the fact that it says that you have to be looking for a job to be considered unemployed. If you're unemployed and not looking for a job, you're not counted as unemployed, except maybe at the U3 rate, which is a higher rate of unemployment. So the, the rate that they're focusing on is the one that's dependent on people saying they're unemployed and looking for a job. And so if you're getting COVID stimulus money or unemployment from your state or things like that, you might be eligible for the workforce at, you know, 28, you know, but you're not looking for a job because you're getting all this extra money living in mommy's basement or, or getting some kind of either state or I guess the federal, you know, COVID subsidies have gone that were paying people not to work. But they artificially removed unemployment as a factor in recession by paying people not to work. So they actually yeah. skewed the data. Yeah. So c- could we could we not be in a recession? Could we not have uh, recession level unemployment that is hidden by the fact that that unemployment is being paid for by tax dollars, which further contributes to government spending, which contributes to borrowing, printing, and more inflation? That's what it looks like to me.
1: Yeah. Well, I I would agree. Um, you know that uh, you know some of this stuff is manufactured by, um, you know, is manufactured by the COVID protocols. Um, You know, but uh, you know, I mean, unfortunately, you know, I I I am also a person that kind of says, hey, you know, the past is always a great teacher of the future, but you know, I mean, if you continue to dwell on it, you know, I mean, you Mm -hmm. need to focus forward. Um, you know, so our focus forward really is is getting inflation back under control. Um, uh-huh. You know, I saw a, a, a spreadsheet that one of our fund partners put up that that said, um, you know, they have a factor called the deflation factor, and you would appreciate this, which is up almost four percent. It's like three point eight, and what that basically says is how fast inflation is moving down on average, right? Um, so okay. so they've already calculated it for February. So um, you know, my take on it is is, you know, the Fed um you know, two weeks ago raised rates a quarter percent. Um and then we got the initial CPI data which basically said inflation is gonna downtrend, right? Um mm-hmm. so uh, I'm assuming that the Fed looked at that data beforehand and said, "Okay, we can get away with a quarter percent." Because if they would have saw something bad, like inflation huh. was going to spike, like everybody thinks it's going to happen, I'm uh-huh. pretty sure they would have done a half a percent. Now, I could be wrong. You know, the Fed could be melancholy about it, be like, "Okay, yeah, we're just going to see what happens," kind of thing. But uh, or they could be stupid. I, 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 <laughs> you know, I think could be where we're at, they're trying to yeah. be a little bit more methodical. Um, uh-huh. I think, you know, what I mean, because, you know, really, I, I think they want to get the economy under control.
0: Well, how much of the Fed is political? Uh, and this might be uh, an abstract, you know, we, we can't answer this, but we can speculate question. But how much is political? Um, because remember, I used to say that uh, during Trump's administration, when the economy was booming, they were raising rates two, 3 percent. And there's no reason to because the economy was booming. I thought they did that to punish Trump because they're basically a bunch of Democrats, whereas during the entire Obama administration and most of the Biden Biden regime, you know, the imposed administration, uh, the interest rates have been really low until until Brandon and Congress, both Republican and Democrat, spent so much money creating so much inflation. The Fed didn't have a choice. They had to raise interest rates. But it seems but it's still there's a political component to how much they raise or lower the interest rates by. Isn't there?
1: Right. Well, um, you know I no I, think the, uh, about it. <laughs> no I I think the political component now um you know is mm-hmm. is kind of out the window um mm-hmm. and I say that because we're we're in a position that they can't um they can't try to make it help politically, you know what i mean like i i I honestly believe that you know what I mean like but okay. you know what i mean when you when you go back to two thousand and eighteen. Um, you know, I think they were raising the rates too fast for what was going on. Um, mm-hmm. And then my personal opinion, when COVID hit, you know, their their call to slam the rates back down to zero, I think, was foolish. Um, you oh. know, they maybe should have went down to 1%, allow a little per- reprieve, let everything go for about, you know, six, eight months, and then get back into the cycle. You know, I mean, keeping those rates down at zero that caused the surge in the housing market. Golly, from like 2020 to 2022, housing prices went up something like 35. percent Wow! How are they doing yeah, now? Ridiculous. Is that something
0: that you look at? Do you, do you look at housing prices? Because I'd love to incorporate that into our report. I don't know if you if you if you watch those um, kind of things. You know,
1: I I do vaguely. Um, okay. you know, But I don't look at it. You know, I don't look at it nationally. Um, mm. You know, I just kind of look around the area. Um, you know, around the area. Um, you know, you're starting to see discounts in prices. Um, you know, they're okay. putting prices up, and and they're they're not holding. Um, I heard from one of my realtor friends that the MLS inventory over the past like six months has tripled. Meaning that, meaning that, um, uh, it's basically the the listing. Um, I can't remember what the acronym
0: oh,
2: okay. is, but right. it's so uh, it's, the
1: of, it's the amount
0: of homes. Is it commercial property too, or just homes?
1: Um, I, I was only looking at homes. I don't know about this about commercial properties.
0: Okay. Just curious.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So, so so the
0: triples, so in other words, three times as many homes are for sale now as were a couple of years ago?
1: No, like a year ago.
0: You're, wow. Yeah, that is a lot. Yeah. Well, supply yeah. To man, you so know, like more and demand. So like a year ago the
1: problem that yeah. they were having was, was inventory and like, you know, if you popped on, you know, any of your any of your your local real estate pages and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we're looking in the local area, you know, you Mm -hmm. might get about, um, oh man, I think it got down to where there was only like, uh, like 70 homes available, Mm -hmm. you know, in the local area, which isn't much at all. And I mean, now they're, they're back up to something like three, 350. Wow.
0: Interesting. That's a huge yeah. jump. You know, well, here's what I remember. When I first moved here for my job at WBY, and I started March 1st of 2017, and I looked at housing prices, I was dying. I thought, this is unbelievable. Because basically the difference between a, a San Francisco area house and a Milton Pace, you know, Pensacola house, you drop a zero. So what you could buy here for 150000 would cost you $1.5 you know, uh, in, in the Bay Area. And so I thought, I know why people are moving here, you know, and I don't know why people are moving to the South from, from the Northeast and from the, from California to the West, because the housing prices are at least they used to be a 10th of what they were and you get more property, you know, so mm-hmm.
1: you, know, yeah. you could sell a yeah. house
0: in California, buy one here for cash, you know, not even have a mortgage and have money left over. Lots of money left over.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: Well let's, let's, um,
0: Talk about deflation for a bit because you know that's my favorite word. Now, I don't consider deflation really cool until it gets into negative. In other words, it's actually reducing the money supply below what it was. Do you know how many is dollars are actually in circulation at any time? I mean, as we talk about or is that measured? In other words, do we have like uh, like hundred trillion dollars or there, okay
1: how, how much is, we got I don't know the number off the top of my head.
0: Okay. Um, well, I'll look that up for, for maybe next week. But uh, I'd like to know. So M1, I guess, is the money supply, right? Yes. Okay. Well, let's look it up right now. I'm curious how many dollars in circulation. We can just use an example. We can say if there are like $100 million in circulation, that might be interesting. All right. Keep my Sarasauga
1: thing. 230, 232 trillion. Oh, you're good. <laughs> 200, 226 a year ago. I mean, I, I knew the number existed.
0: No that's perfect. All right, so that gives me a great basis. Uh so if we have 232 trillion dollars and that's total. world that's 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 worldwide, right?
1: Yeah, if 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 you talk about the total of money in circulation, so US currency in circulation is a, is mm-hmm. a, is a little bit of a different number, right? And I know okay. this sounds weird, but it's it's money that they calculate that is that is currently out there. How much money is currently in existence? Meaning, you know, if you include what's in the banks, if you include what's, um, you know, what's what's being held, what's in reserve? uh, There's 8.2 trillion. 8.28 is the number. That's reserve. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about
0: because and the numbers aren't exact. I'm more concerned. I'm more interested in the ratio of numbers. So if we have 232 trillion dollars in circulation now, and a year ago there was four trillion less. That's, that's, that, that's a,
1: a year ago. No, a year ago was uh, uh, roughly, hold on, um, 8, billion, $8 billion difference.
0: Okay, so it's only $8 or, billion. Uh, do, all right, that's, that's not huge. That's not very big. $8 billion is not a lot of money when you're talking about $232 trillion. How much was the yes. – can you look at the money supply in 2018, uh, Trump's last prosperous year, just out of curiosity? Because we had no inflation. Can you for that. Year 3
1: year. Yeah, yeah I got yeah. a chart here. I'm looking at it. Okay. Um oh, ballpark. Yes, I gotta go. Sorry. Click, click there. No
0: no, th- so, no this, is, this is interesting. I don't mind
1: the delay. Yeah. Yeah, um it looks like it looks like um it was about one point eight, 1. 1.8 trillion in 2018. What so that's money in circulation? Yeah. So
0: so where'd you get the two hundred and eighty two trillion? That's the total amount of dollars. We got two different numbers here.
1: No, two hundred and thirty two trillion. Or two two I'm sorry, two point three two trillion. Um not two hundred and thirty two trillion.
0: Okay, all right. so two point three two two
1: point three two trillion and then one point eight trillion in two thousand eighteen.
0: So if you increase what looks like basically um what, half a trillion you know, two one point so eight trillion Two point three. That's like—is that five trillion or what is that? Five hundred billion. It's
1: like like five hundred billion. Yeah.
0: Okay, so 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 inflation that was like one percent in twenty eighteen. If you increase the money supply, I'm just looking at rough approximations here. We're just we're just you know making this up, just ballparking here. So if you increase the money supply by five hundred billion, we've got an inflation rate of what was as high as nine percent. So let's just say an average of what six percent maybe.
1: When you know, over over that time period,
0: yeah, or maybe five percent. They do public math. <laughs> no, no, no. We're going to do math. Here, here's what I'm trying to do. So, if you increase eight, you know, if you increase five hundred billion, you've got roughly five percent inflation. Inflation, roughly. So you could. So what I'm thinking is, for every billion dollars they increase, every hundred billion dollars they increase the money supply, it translates roughly. I mean, really roughly, to about one percent inflation. I mean, obviously, yeah. the other factors, right?
1: So you can the US see cur- that the currency in circulation. I'm sorry, I said 1.8 because I was just looking at this chart. It was 1.67 with the the real number.
0: That's okay. So 1.7 in 2018. am mm-hmm. just, just, you know, and then we've got 2.3 in 2023. So that's 18. That's five years, which is a good good approximation. And 1.7 to 2.3 is is points. So 600 billion. It's still roughly, yeah. you know, for 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 our, our, our fudge math here, it's still for every hundred billion dollars you increase the money supply, you're adding one percent inflation. Yes,
1: yeah. yeah,
0: that's fascinating. Yeah,
1: that's that's probably so, a good so, estimate.
0: Okay, so let's so let's say so that let's say one hundred billion billion. I'm, I'm having fun doing this. this. This is Action Radio, folks. We we literally come up with economic theory as we do the show. Uh, it, it equals approximately a little line over an equal sign. 1% inflation. So if they reduce, so if one, increasing $100 billion increases inflation by 100%, then reducing the money supply by $100 billion should, not necessarily guaranteed, but should reduce inflation by 1%. So if we took $500 billion or $600 billion, depending on how you do your math, out of the economy, we should bring inflation down. Right. I mean,
1: yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It's, so why are we raising? So why, why are we raising interest rates? <laughs> so and well, I don't expect so, you to answer so that question. Of, part but go part ahead. of the uh, economic tightening tightening cycle is, is them taking money out of supply. So you know, hypothetically, you know, next year, you know, I mean, you you should see money taken out of circulation um mm-hmm. you know so that should go in more into the holding number because really when when they get into the tightening of the money supply they do they increase the the reserves uh the banks reserves meaning that they have to hold more money um mm-hmm. you know they increase um they increase the government's holdings um mm-hmm. and then raise the rate which almost you know in, in cycle you know brings money to the bank i mean i, I can't tell you you know, I mean, most of the money that I'm bringing in right now is going into CDs and money markets and, mm-hmm. you know, stable products. Sure.
0: Hey, if, if the CD is paying a known interest rate that's higher than, than your bank and everything else and uh, it's a good return and uh, it's probably still less than inflation, but it's better than, you know, you're losing less, <laughs> you know, especially if you can roll it over compound and do all those magic things that money does. Why wouldn't people do CDs and, and money markets and things?
2: Yeah you, remember, yeah,
0: you know, remember, you know, you you were too young for, for the the seventies, I believe, um, but um, I remember, I remember twenty three percent inflation. I remember Paul Volcker. I remember Jimmy Carter. People were rolling CDs. They were buying them like crazy, and they did, they just kept them just kept rolling them over because all the money, all the interest that was generated by their you know three month six month CDs they they put that extra money into buying the next CD, so it was compounding, and they would do this this went on for yeah. several years. So a lot of people made a fortune, but you had to have the money to start with. Most people who didn't have money suffered because everything got more expensive. But those that did have money, that could put money into CDs, they were buying them like crazy and just kept rolling them over. And, all you know, if you have, uh, you know, 10%, uh, say it's paying 10% interest and you put a million dollars in and three months later you get a million, you know, you get a million, a hundred thousand, now you put the million, a hundred thousand into your 10%. Now you get another, you know, and it just keeps compounding.
1: Well, 10, 10, yeah. 10% is an annual percentage rate. So if you do a three-month CD oh. at 10%, yeah. You know I mean? You got you to amortize that. So, you know what okay. I mean? You got, you got, uh, right. you got you, got, uh, uh, you know, $30,000. <laughs> so,
0: okay. Well, still that's $30,000. I mean, that's, that's $30,000 that, you know, you didn't have to work for. <laughs> it just, it just, there it is. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the correction. I appreciate it. So, yeah. All right. So, but, but the point is that if we, but no one's talking about this in the news, you know, no one, because deflation, you can't talk about deflation, which is of course why we do, <laughs> but if you could deflate the economy. Um, say 600 billion. What I'm really looking for is negative deflation. I'm looking at deflation, which is actually below the, the the rate. So what we really need is probably to take at about uh, one trillion. If we could take one trillion dollars out of circulation, let get into negative, you know, de- get deflation at, at below zero, you know. Um, there wouldn't be a whole lot of money, but that money would be worth a whole lot. Prices would, uh, would drop because that money would be so much more valuable. You wouldn't have any inflation. And, of course, the Fed would go crazy because they, don't make, they make their money off inflation. And I'm still not exactly clear how the mechanism works, but if, if because I know they want to guarantee – they used to want 3%, now they say 2%. But if they're getting 3% of the value of money, if money is losing three percent, that means people have to borrow more and spend more and do all kinds of stuff. And that does that benefit the big banks? I mean, can you explain the transfer? Why inflation benefits government and and the Fed? Or should we say that for another
1: week? I mean, yeah, I mean, I only got a couple minutes, but I mean, in, in short answer, we can save it for another week. But you know, I mean, okay. the bottom line is, is you know, when when inflation's up and the cost of goods and services is up, that means more taxes. You know, I mean, like people are going to have to spend more money to do the same thing. So, you know, I mean, more tax, more tax revenue comes in in and in a short answer.
0: So the the incentive for government is to actually have more inflation. Uh, So in other words, two or three percent a year is what they think they can get away with.
1: (laughs) Nobody notices. Oh, yeah. All all day. You know, they would they would be like, yeah, bring on the inflation. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Okay. That's why deflation is the cure for our economic problems. All right. So in the last minute that you have, do you want to tell us what's going on with oil?
1: Um yeah so uh, you know again just kind of a short snippet um you mm-hmm. know Saudi um was basically tired of oil staying at uh, the $70 range $70 to $75 range so they said hey let's go ahead and tighten production so they talked to OPEC and OPEC said yeah we're going to reduce production and basically put the squeeze back on oil um you know that in my personal opinion I do believe was political um mm-hmm. you know I think that they uh, they don't they don't care for the current administration that we have and um mm-hmm. i think it's we don't either. in my <laughs> i don't either so you know we
0: i share that in common yeah. with the Saudis yeah
1: yeah so uh yeah unfortunately oil i mean there's some predictions that that uh you know people are saying that we might see uh hundred dollar oil again um mm-hmm. you know again those are predictions so i wouldn't i wouldn't uh you know i wouldn't be concerned with a prediction um you know look more towards what's factual um you know uh uh, Biden has talked about potentially increasing some of the oil leases and things that, that you know they struck down when he first came into office. So I'll believe How that when that? I see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've heard um, about that
0: too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. He's, yeah. Still, he's still got the left. And remember when I said about a year or so ago – and tell me – if you have to leave, just go, and I'll pick it up next week. But remember when I said that the left hates oil so much they want to get rid of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? They've pretty much done that. Oh yeah. It, yeah. Does it, does yeah. he can't Brandon can't use that again to offset the, the the loss of production from the Saudi Arabians. He's already done that. He's already drained the savings account. The oil savings account is gone. Right. So now what now what do the Marxists do to keep power? <laughs> you know. It's, <laughs> uh, it's going to be interesting. You know, I mean you can you only spend those spin those wind generators so fast and we only have so many bald eagles, you know, they're getting killed right. by those things. So uh you know, it's gonna be interesting. Wind and solar ain't gonna do it, folks. You know, so um, the market's going to catch up with this. It's going to be very interesting to see. I, I think prices are going to rise. I'm not going to predict how much. But the thing is that the solution to this, just this deflation and the lowering of the money supply would cure our economic problems. Uh, going back to Trump's oil policies of the Keystone Pipeline, uh, the leases, I think the states should actually just basically confiscate their land from the feds because technically and constitutionally it is the state land and just start drilling themselves. That's my solution.
2: Yeah. yeah and so
0: the, yeah, the the way out of this is the same way it always is when it, when there's a, a shortage, more supply. Oh, yeah, no. I
1: think uh, they they can um, they can go back and increase production for us. You know, mm-hmm. uh, allow the leases. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm all for the the battery stuff. I think it's a, you know, I mean, I think it's a good plan. Hey, uh, be less reliant on oil. Unfortunately, what are we doing to bolster the power grid? You know, I mean mm-hmm. if we're gonna go electric, you know, what is the what is the alternative? I mean, um, you know, so it, it all breathes well. I mean, like hey, I'm all for saving the environment and getting off oil, but you know, not while our economy is being kicked in the teeth.
0: No, I don't see any reason to get off I mean, my my solution is very simple. Don't subsidize it. Let it go for itself. And I'll talk to right. you about this next week. But Ed Dabwin, he was on the show yesterday, said that vaccines would not be in the market if we are a free market. They cannot survive economically. Right. Um, with uh, without liability immunity and the costs in production and all the other problems they have with them, that was fascinating to me. Anyway,
1: I saw an article that said something like forty billionaires were created from this vaccine stuff. Uh-huh. All,
0: as far as I'm concerned, illegally because uh, they mandated that they mandated we take it, they mandated it being the economy, they they mandated they have no liability with the PREP Act and a bunch of other stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see. Anyway, um, yep. yeah, next week we'll we'll pick it up and we'll see what's going on then. Thank you, sir. I'll give your phone number again and uh, get out of here, and uh, we'll talk later.
1: Yep. This is uh, Derek with the uh, Action Radio Report or Financial Report, and you can get me at 850 82
0: There we go. Thanks very much, Derek. All right. 7.57 here, uh, Central Time in the great state of Florida on the Gulf Coast, in the beautiful metropolis of Milton by the Blackwater River. And we shall – okay, there's Marco. He's back on the line. I just checked my live chat. Marco's back in. Uh, In fact, Marco, especially especially on Friday, I don't know if you're working a four-day week or not. Marco's in the Netherlands. Uh, But uh, if you want to check in with an economics question, just ask your question. I can ask uh, Derek directly. Uh, And that goes for any of the reporters that we have here. So I really like having uh, somebody in Europe. In fact, I have someone else in Ireland I'm trying to get connected to the show as well. In fact, wherever you are in the world, you know, assuming you're awake, (laughs) New Zealand's the roughest. I got friends in New Zealand. It's like, you know, 2 in the morning there right now. Uh, They're about 18 hours ahead of us. And so it's, it's a little tougher for them. But, uh, yeah, you know, always feel free to check in on live chat. And, of course, we have a Skype line, too. So uh, that, that works as well. All right. So I'm going to take a little break now. Uh, what, seven, let's see. Make it 7.58. i try trying to write these things down now so the show notes are easier. I'm going to play a few things. And then what we'll do is come back. And I've got uh, the whole rest of the show is open. So I don't know how long I'm going to run it. It depends if I get bored or not. But I've got a bunch of articles on this whole idea of Donald Trump versus Robert Kennedy in the 2024 election, which I think would be fabulous if those two get together behind the scenes uh, and openly campaign for their positions, you know, from strength. I mean, don't, don't, you know, I mean, definitely uh, criticize each other's policies, but if they keep it civil and it becomes a real campaign, that'll bring this country together in ways that will, will basically, what I'm trying to do is block out the deep state. We need to block out the deep state. If we can block out the deep state, then some wonderful things will happen. All right, I'll play some stuff, and I will be right back uh, in just a little bit with this, what I think will be a fascinating debate that no one else is covering. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60-second spots available for your announcements, and we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener, and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink. That turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeForceEnergy.com. That's StrikeForceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Okay, I'm back. It is 8.03 uh, in the morning here on a beautiful Friday. Actually, it looks warm out there. Uh, it's going to pour rain probably later, and I think it's going to rain most of tomorrow, which is fine. i got a bunch of work I have to do anyway, um, and so I'll be working on on uh, a lot of production stuff, a lot of different things. You know, we're always changing here. Anyway, right now it's time to go to the newsroom and get a bunch of stories on my topic, uh, topic du jour, which is Donald Trump versus Robert Kennedy, the no deep state 2024 election, and be right back. And out of the services. Oh, where to go? Where to go? So many choices. <laughs> so many different stories. Uh, I got about twelve of them. Yeah, how many I do is just, I'm just sort of reviewing my titles now. Um, let's let's start. Here. Let's start with Robert Kennedy because we already know that uh, that Trump's running, and I think there's a lot fewer people that that know what's going on with Robert Kennedy. I know what's going on with Donald Trump, because, of course, you know, Trump has been the target uh, of all kinds of different stuff for years, ever since he first declared that he was running. And so that's been a a big difference there. All right. So I've got here the the website is called PM, period. American News Breaking. Robert F. Kennedy, Jr. registers for president as Democrat. (laughs) Wait a minute. Huh? Of course he ran as a Democrat. Why is that news? Why don't they say Democrat, Robert F. Kennedy, Jr.? But if he's running as a Democrat? Isn't everybody in the Democrat Party, you know, in there as a Democrat? <laughs> the language choices, again, you know me, I, I'm, I'm really picky on words. So I see anything that, that strikes me as uh, in any way either condescending or derogatory or reducing the capacity thereof, making people less than what they are. Of course, I immediately pointed out. This is April 5th, you know, so this was two days ago. So today is the 7th. Uh, I'm going to check my calendar and make sure. Yeah, today's the 7th. Today's Good Friday. Uh, we talked about that earlier a couple days with Wendy on Wednesday and uh, CJ yesterday. And so Good Friday, I don't like the name Good Friday. It's, there's nothing good about, uh, Jesus being crucified. Um, except for the fact that, uh, taking on the sins of the world, uh, and the wages of sin are death. And so his death paid the wages of sin for the world. That's, that's how, that's the simplest explanation uh, I can think of, um, for, for a Good Friday. Um. You know, we have now, Easter Sunday has now become Resurrection Sunday. So why don't we, you know, would we call this Crucifixion Friday? Or is that a little too much for folks? Or do you, Is that a little too real for you? I don't know. I mean, that, that, that might be a topic of discussion. Anyway, uh, we've got live chat articles covering it up. So it's going to be a little bit before I get to live chat. But uh, I think it's certainly worthy um, of discussion. Um, and, of course, you can always call 215-383-3832. But I've got a lot of material to go over. So I think phone calls will be will be kind of limited um, today. All right, so the first article, where'd it go? What's the wrong one? Hang on. I'm back to find where I start. Oh, there we go. Okay. I've got like, I've got uh, three windows with about six articles each. This is going to be a while. Breaking, Dem- uh, Robert F. Kennedy registers to run for president as Democrat. Kennedy filed his paperwork. So they're not saying that he's really, you know, a candidate. They just say he's filed his paperwork. It's another way to put him down, right? Article says, let me see, let me see if I can get a, a buy by Hannah Nightingale, Washington, D.C. April 5th, Hannah Nightingale, spelled as you would expect, N-I-G-H-T-I-N-G-A-L-A. Hannah Nightingale says Robert F. Kennedy uh, Jr. is reportedly going going to run for president. Well, if he's filed papers, I would assume so. The son of late Senator Robert F. Kennedy and nephew of President John F. Kennedy registered his presidential campaign with the Federal Election Commission, otherwise known as the F.E.C., According to Raw's story, oh, I guess this is secondhand then, Kennedy filed his paperwork with the FEC on Wednesday afternoon, which indicated that he would run as a Democrat. Well, who, what else would a Kennedy run as, <laughs> except uh, Senator Kennedy in Louisiana, who's obviously a Republican. But I just think that's stupid. Anyway, his committee is reportedly called Team Kennedy. Well, that's novel and is is testing to see how much potential support he would receive for the run. Okay, fine. John E. Sullivan, a Florida-based attorney, is serving as the campaign's treasurer and confirmed to the outlet, I guess that's the folks that did this uh, article, that the presidential run and FEC filing are both true. Okay, good. Sullivan revealed that a formal launch of the campaign is still in the works, but that the committee is targeting April 19th as the launch date, which will take place in Boston. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> what else happened on April 19th? Oh, I don't know. The, 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 the blowing up of the Murrah Building, uh, bombing uh, by the terrorists during the Boston Marathon, uh, the Warsaw Ghetto, the, uh, the massacre of the Branch Davidians by the Clinton administration at Waco. Uh, April 19th is, you know, is one of those days. So this is fascinating. I, uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> not my campaign. I would not have advised April 19th, but, uh, April, 19th. but April 19th is also the day that uh, the War for Independence started against Britain in 1775. So April 19th is just one of those days that things happen. So obviously our April 19th show is going to be a big one. I'll probably go over the history of April 19th stuff. But the most important one for me personally, there's two. One is the fact that the uh, War for Independence started. Uh, against England, and I was in Lexington, you know, growing up in high school, and I rang the, the bell in the old Belfry, and I, I watched the, the reenactments of the battle, and the British marched up, and the, the whole bit, you know, and, the, and the, uh, the Minutemen came storming out of the Buckman Tavern, nice and drunk, and, you know, uh, about 30 or 40 Minutemen took on several hundred British soldiers. Not a good idea, but, you know, it, you know, it, it wasn't going to end well, but at least it, uh, it was the first act of defiance against tyranny, and, and we went from there. Um, anyway, so, but that's fascinating. April 19th. Okay. Well, all right. Somebody's not looking at the calendar, apparently. Uh, then it says in a March 10th tweet, Kennedy asked Twitter users to help me decide whether to run for president. I say absolutely. He absolutely has to run for president. Why? Because he is the non-deep state, most popular outside candidate the Democrats could pick at this time. I think this is fabulous. Now. I've got articles coming up a little bit later I'm talking about Steve Bannon, who said that Kennedy should run as a provocateur, who should run to upset the Democrat apple cart, you know, just as Bernie Sanders was getting in the way of Hillary Clinton. So they basically sabotaged his election and frauded him out of it. Uh, but this is really interesting. So you look at the traditional Democrat machine, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Pocahontas. <laughs> You know, uh, socialist Bernie Sanders pretending pretend to be a capitalist who owns like seven houses or whatever he owns. Hillary Clinton, who's running for dictator, um, and who doesn't mind about uh, killing people in Benghazi and covering it up. And, you know, her email, you know, we know Hillary's history. And all the people that mysteriously die around here when they're supposed to t- testify against her in court. Gee, so we know what happens when you've been hillary um, and who else you know, and then of course you've got, uh, Brandon, who doesn't even know where he is. He still thinks he's vice president, you know, and so they have the idiocracy. So they want to maintain the idiocracy. Michelle Obama wants to replace the entire government with black women. And you've got, uh, this, this cabal of, of, insane, crazy people, you know, in office because they're, they're really smart people want the crazy people up front so that uh, they'll say and do, you know, they'll just lie openly and think that it's true. So that's what's going on. So someone like Robert Kennedy comes along and says, wait a minute, (laughs) you know, your vaccine policy is insane. You're killing people. You know, the things you're doing, you're not Democrats anymore. You know, you've totally lost your way. You're a bunch of tyrannical dictating, you know, those kind of folks. Right. And so he's a, you know, he, 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 he'd be like someone who would make the ACLU actually go back and represent civil rights instead of leftist, you know, Marxism, that would be a good thing. So he's that kind of person. And so I say all for it, but what I see, what I saw as clearly as I've seen anything in my life uh, is that if these two could combine, and hopefully, like I said, a meeting behind the scenes um, to, to form a, uh, a really civil campaign that would bring this country together, that would have a, a, have civil debates. Uh, they might even might have, hold a series of debates over time. I mean, the best thing I could start doing is uh, start debating now. Why not? Block out the other candidates. You know, this would be – I think I'm going to sneeze. I have to mute my line here for a second. Be right back. Oh, caught that one on time. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, It's uh, I don't know. I'll get the fans going. It's a little cool in here. Who knows what's gonna you know. Anyway, Uh, it's the end of the week. I'm tired. Maybe I'm picking up a a bug. Oh, hang on. I must do this again. Hang on. Uh, No, we're okay. (laughs) Sorry about. I'm not gonna. Anyway, it's loud. Uh, But anyway, so that's what I'm thinking. That if uh, in fact I, I think it'd be a good recommendation, you know, to have Trump Kennedy debates now. You know, I think that would be absolutely fascinating because I know people that, uh, that know Robert Kennedy um, and I know people that know Donald Trump. I just don't know them personally, directly myself. But we'll get there. We'll get there. But now's the time to start, start structuring a campaign. And the whole point of that campaign would be to block out the deep state. You block out the deep state Democrats. You block out the deep state Republicans. You block out the deep state entirely. You would block out the vote fraud, at least I hope a lot of it. Because you know who's going to cheat for someone that's not a, a loyal deep state member. I mean, they cheated for Brandon because Brandon's part of the, probably the epitome of state. He's as corrupt as it comes. He's bribed and and uh, got you know all kinds of millions upon millions of dollars, and he doesn't care. To him, that's just business as usual. So Brandon's the perfect deep state person. But is the deep state going to support Robert Kennedy? I don't think so. Would they cheat for him? Would Zuckerberg spend you know half a billion dollars cheating for him? Uh, in all the all the districts, so they can have uh, Mike Pence cheat for him, uh, you know, to uh, to get rid of the Trump electors, and that's what happened. Mike Pence is the one that put Brandon in office by by removing Trump electors from consideration. Uh, January sixth, that's what January sixth was all about, making sure the Trump electors never uh, got a voice. So this is all fascinating to me. All right, so, so so back to the article, which I've only just begun to start. I've been talking for a while here. It says, it says, it says, Robert F. Kennedy, help me decide whether to run for president. Visit teamkennedy.com to volunteer or contribute. If it looks like I can raise the money and mobilize enough people to win, I'll jump in the race. If I run, my top priority will be to end the corrupt, the corrupt, what's, what's the rest of what he says? Uh, the, the corrupt something. Where's the rest of the tweet? I guess I have to, if I click on it, we'll see what happens. All right, I click on it. Team Kennedy, where are we now? Ah, here we go. That's website. Freedom first. I'll give you a little blurb on Kennedy. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has spent his life fighting for American democracy and the liberties guaranteed by the Constitution. See, he's, he's a constitutionalist. He's just doing it differently. right? He has battled against corporate greed and government corruption. Yep. And I, I Listen, I'm just as much against corporate welfare as, as private welfare. Don't, don't think for a second that uh, I value one of the other. See, the Republicans love corporate welfare. They do. The whole party's based on it. He, says he has battled against corporate greed and government corruption to protect our children, our health, our livelihoods, our environment, and above all, our freedom. With integrity, courage, yet okay, so where does this say he's gone against the deep state? Let me see if I can find uh, I don't find it right there. All right, so that, so obviously we're going to come across that tweet later, and we will get the end of it. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, let me see if I can find, well, let's see if I can get a tweet. Hang on, let me click again. This is live radio. I don't mind. I'm improvising. And go to Twitter, and it's Twitter. Says, let me get the rest of that tweet. seems like a good, I might retweet it myself. Uh, help me decide whether to run for president. Visit teamkennedy.com to volunteer or contribute. If it looks like I can raise the money, then if I jump in the race, if I jump in the race, top priority will be to end corporate merger between state and corporate power that has ruined our economy. Oh, here we go. If I run, my top priority, this is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., top priority will be to end. The corrupt merger between state and corporate power that has ruined our economy. Do you know what the word for state and corporate power is? It's called fascism. That's what it is. That's what the current leftist Marxists are engaged in. State, government, government and corporate power unifying the two. That's fascism. That's what Mussolini did. Hello? You know, just uh, what? You don't think this is happening in your own country? Oh, please. He says, end the, 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 the corrupt merger between state and corporate power that has ruined our economy, shattered the middle class, polluted our landscapes and waters, poisoned our children, and robbed us – that would be vaccines, by the way – and robbed us of our values and freedoms. Together, we can restore America's democracy. Okay, I'm going to disagree with him in the fact that we're not a democracy. We're a republic. And that is probably the fundamental difference between Democrats, who think we're a democracy, and Republicans, real ones, not you know Mitch McConnell and crew. Real Republicans who, who know that we are a republic it says so in the Constitution, Article Four, Section Four. We are guaranteed a republic. It says a republican form of government, but I think that's too easy to confuse with party. So I shorten it to we are guaranteed the Constitution a republic, which is not a democracy. So I would challenge Robert Kennedy on that. Um, I you know because but does that mean that you know we don't have people voting and you know votes are open and fair? Yeah, we do, but that's part of a republic. You know, it, Whereas in a democracy, that's all there is. See, a republic has a constitution and defined rights uh, and due process and things like that. That's what defines a republic. A separation of powers, limited powers of government. A democracy is wide open. Democracy is whatever the majority votes for. That's why it never works. But I would challenge him on that is, is where he defines a democracy in terms of checks and balances. That would be an interesting discussion. I also want to talk to Alan Dershowitz. Uh, Because I want to challenge him on Marbury versus Madison Judicial Review, interpreting the Constitution, uh, limits on on rights and things like that. That would be a great chat too. All right. So the article says, in a speech given last month at New Hampshire's St. Anselm College. That's got to be one of those rich private uh, private schools, right? Kennedy sold the – because you know Kennedy went to one of those rich private schools, right? Andover Academy, Phillips Exeter Academy, which, which one do you think he went to? We'll, we'll find out. right? Kennedy told the crowd regarding a presidential run. I'm thinking about it and I passed the biggest hurdle, uh, which is my wife has green lighted it. Oh, well, thank you, Mrs. Kennedy. <laughs> we appreciate your help. Uh, Kennedy will be joining author Mariana Williamson in running to unseat President Joe Biden in 2024. Mary, uh, Marianna, I think it's Marianne Williamson. I want to get Marianne Williamson on the show. She's interesting. So if Kennedy and Williamson are teaming up, because she's outside too. She's another outsider. So this is so, so the twenty twenty four election I'm gonna define is the election of the outsider. Cause if you get Kennedy running now now, Brandon's obviously gonna run, but Brandon's an idiot. You know, if you debate Kennedy and Brandon, Brandon's gonna lose big time and they know it. So the only thing Brandon has is corruption, lies, illegal activity, dirty tricks, and all the other things that the deep state does. This is gonna be fun. Oh, I see. I can't wait for this election. Then it says Kennedy will be joining. Okay, we have got that. I read that. That's about that. All right, next article. The next article comes from uh, Robert Kennedy's own organization, Children's Health Defense. Okay, Children's Defense is dedicated to saving children from, you know, death, injury, and permanent disability from vaccines and other things. So, the defender, CHD founder, Robert F. Kennedy, Jr., Fly, uh, files to run for president. And this is from the defender staff. So his own staff wrote this. And this would have been April 6th, so yesterday. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., founder of Children's Health Defense, on Wednesday moved one step closer to seeking the Democrat nomination for U.S. president. See, they call it seeking the Democrat nomination, so obviously he's running as a Democrat, contrary to the previous article. See the difference? Words mean things. For U.S. president by filing the requisite paperwork with the Federal Election Commission. Okay, so, that, so the story is the same, but the way they characterize it is... Different, uh, Marco. I just took on my my uh, live chat. Marco, don't worry about what you missed. Just catch up. You know, just feel free to join in. Well, here's a question. So when Kennedy um, went to uh, Berlin, this is Robert. This is John Kennedy during the Berlin Airlift, and said ich bin ein Berliner, which with a Boston accent means I'm a jelly donut. <laughs> it should be Berliner with an R, but in Boston they don't pronounce the R, so it comes out Berliner which I guess is a jelly donut. <laughs> Mark, I'll get to tell you about Anyway, what effect would uh, another Kennedy uh, in the White House have in terms of Europe? That's my question for you, considering the goodwill that John Kennedy had, uh, especially during the Berlin Airlift and other things that he did. I did you know, let's, let's, let's get a European connection. Let's see what we can find out. All right. So the article by Robert Kennedy's own organization says Robert F. Kennedy Jr., founder of Children's Health Events, Okay, at press time, Kennedy had not made an official announcement. He's probably going to soon. In an email sent earlier today by CHD acting President Laura Bono, or Bono, B-O-N-O, to CHD members, Kennedy said, my top priority is to end the corrupt merger between state and corporate power. See, he can't say he's going to end fascism. It's too bad, though, because that's what he's doing, because that's what the Democrats and Republicans are. They're fascists, both parties. Gee, how can you say that? Republicans and Democrats are different. Oh, really? If you merge state or, or government power and corporate power into a single entity, and I give you, um, you know, the COVID, the merging of government health, um, Pfizer and big tech, you know, information censorship, social media, and, and, and uh, search engines, you put all that together, that equals fascism. Because obviously the Republicans didn't change anything, and the Democrats are all for it. You know, so uh, there you go, except for a few people in the Freedom Caucus, but there aren't enough of them. Article says stating that these goals have always been central to CHD, Children's Health Defense Mission, that he founded CHD after parents concerned about the meteoric rise in childhood chronic diseases approached me time and time again, urging me to look beyond what mainstream media and government health agencies were telling the public about what was causing these increases. He said, After carefully reviewing the science, it was clear to me that the vaccines and other toxic environmental exposures were inextricably linked to rising rates of autism, allergies, autoimmune diseases, disorders, excuse me, and a host of other conditions. This is Kennedy talking. I knew I could never turn my back on the children and families so profoundly affected by these exposures. My commitment to health freedom Ooh, here's a good one. Health, freedom, preventing future injuries, unmasking those responsible—that would be Dr. Fascist—and holding them accountable—that again would be Dr. Fascist—will uh, never diminish. And then it, that's his quote. And then it says Kennedy, formerly chairman and chief litigation officer for C.H.D., is now the organization's chairman on leave. Uh, yeah, why is he on leave? Because he's running for president. <laughs> uh, he says he has an environmental activist and attorney and founder. Oh, he is. Excuse me, my misreading. Uh, My eyes move faster than than the brain. He is an environmental activist, well, so am I, an attorney and founder of the Waterkeeper Alliance, the world's largest clean water advocacy group with more than 300 local waterkeeper groups protecting water on six continents. So my goal, again, is that um, Kennedy joins uh, the Trump administration. And then he can run for president on his own. He would be 73. Uh, Well, let's say he's 69 now. So he would be, I guess, 74. So he'd still be a year younger than Trump is now uh, if he ran in 2028. So, yeah, it's still, still the real possibility. We live longer. You know, I don't think he was exposed to all the vaccines that uh, the new generation of, of kids are. So, you know, he's probably around for a while, at least I hope so. Um, there we go. Yeah, there's always crazy people out there. If you're a candidate, there's always crazy people. But there's crazy people after Trump, too. So these are probably going to be two of the highly, the most highly defended uh, candidates in history by the Secret Service would be Robert Kennedy uh, and Donald Trump. Betcha, betcha. And more power to the Secret Service. Keep them safe. All right. So this time man named Kennedy its hero for the planet for his success in helping New York's Riverkeeper Group lead the fight to restore the Hudson River, which is where Sully landed an airplane. That's not in the article. I just said that. Uh, the New York City Watershed Agreement, which Kennedy negotiated on behalf of environmentalists and New York City Watershed consumers, is regarded as an international model in stakeholder consensus, negotiations, and sustainable development. So yeah, so he's really, you know, he's, he's a liberal on the environment. I, I don't have a problem with that. My problem is when they have ridiculous regulations to take away stuff uh, in the name of environmentalism and climate change. You notice he's not, he's not standing out there on climate change. Oh, isn't that interesting? So now I need to find out Robert Kennedy's position. I've never seen him mention climate change in any of his publications. Why? Because he actually does follow the signs. He knows it's a bunch of crap. It's a bunch of socialism that he doesn't want. See, he's a liberal. He's not a socialist. There's a difference. Huge difference. Gee, Greg, why are you advocating so much for Robert Kennedy, a Democrat? Because I'm not partisan. I never have been. I register Republican out of convenience because everybody running around here is Republican. All the political groups that can do anything are Republican. You know, do I consider myself a Republican? <laughs> I'm, I'm actually a rhino <laughs> in name only because <laughs> I'm really I'm really uh, uh, an anti-Federalist if you get down to it. And I'm going to start looking into the Federalist papers again and get those out there. Anyway, Kennedy is an author of more than 10 books, including American Values, Lessons I Learned from My Family, The Real Anthony Fauci. Yes, he, he, he hates Dr. Fascist. Uh, this is the real, his other book, The Real Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, Big Pharma and the Global War on Democracy and Public Health. Yeah. See, what happened with COVID is not public health. It's government control, and knowing that makes a huge difference. Oh, I've got so many messages coming in, and I can't even look at all you people right now. I've got things to do. I've got a show to run. Hey, you want to talk to me? Call the show, Uh, 215-383-3832. Oh, so it's interesting. So Marco types in a live chat regarding John Kennedy. It's a good thing he was in Berlin and not in Hamburg. Okay, tell me why. I'm curious. Now, I've been to both. I've been to Berlin. I've been to Hamburg. I was in Berlin in 1982, and the Berlin Wall was still up. I'm pretty sure it was 1982. And I crossed the Berlin Wall at Checkpoint Charlie. I saw all the worst uh, of Berlin uh, in terms of communism. Uh, I spent, uh, I think, three days in West Berlin, which I absolutely loved. I spent one day in East Berlin, which I absolutely hated. It was fascinating, and it was, it was terrifying uh, in what government can do to people. And I see all the parallels here. Uh, the biggest problem with communism, you know, yes, it's oppression. Yes, they will kill you. Yes, they'll put a bullet in the back of your head. Yes, there are gulags and all those other horrors. But the problem for the average person is it's boredom. They, bore you, they literally bore you to death in communism. There's no advertising. There's no marketing. There's no excitement. There's no possibilities. There's no potential. There's no careers. You don't work. Everybody works for the state. So nobody works. You know, you pretend to work. You pretend to go to a job and the state pretends to pay you. And then uh, you pretend to buy things that the state pretends to produce. But the shortages of everything. You know, you go to a grocery store, I remember grocery stores in East Berlin. They had one label, the government label. Government bread, government beans, you know, government uh, whatever, <laughs> government potatoes. It's all the same label. Why cuz there's only one producer, the government. And the food looked terrible. You know, there's no there's no uh, advertising on the shelves. It's, you know, the shelves were were basically white walls and just shelves of food, all with the same label. Oh, okay, ich bin ein Berliner, I was supposed to ich bin ein Hamburger. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> well, I get it now. Marco's being funny in the Netherlands. Yeah. So so Berliner, you know, when pronounced with a Boston accent. Berliner. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm a, a Kennedy from uh, Boston, yeah. I talk about the Berliner. Apparently that means jelly donut. <laughs> get out because my German's not very good. Um but uh, if he was in uh, uh in Hamburg, you know, Ich bin ein Hamburger <laughs> That's like remember that film with um oh Steve Martin? when he was trying to do the last remake of Inspector Clouseau. They went to the hamburger. Anyway, it's kinda of funny. All right. So yeah, it's a good thing he didn't go to Hamburg, just for that reason. Well, what do the hamburgers call themselves in Hamburg? Yeah, Marco? In the Netherlands. What are they? I love being able to talk to the Netherlands right over my microphone. So this is I love technology, right? So so if you're from Hamburg, what do you call yourself? You know, in fact the well here's one too, 'cause in in uh, there's a lot of towns in Germany are called bur uh burgs. Uh, or and if you're if you're the the mayor, you're the burger meister. So would you be a hamburger meister? <laughs> I don't know. If you're the hamburger burgermeister, meister, does <laughs> say it's Friday. <sighs> we do take things a little while, even though I do make uh, dramatic stuff. Well, let's take the German news service Reuters. Okay. The Reuters is the German version of AP. So when you look at my website, uh, my Facebook group, International News, Action Radio International News Group, you'll see three. Sources predominating and some other sources as well. So three big ones would be uh, the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation. I get a lot of their stuff. The Guardian, that's a a liberal British press. Uh, Daily Mail, that seems more conservative British press. So you've got three British press sources. You'll see that. You'll see Sky News, which is both England and Australia uh, international. And you'll see see Reuters, which is the German news service. Uh, That's like German, like I say, German a press and then i have other folks i have the hong kong service i have uh, stuff from canada uh different people different places usually if you're oppressed you're probably going to make it onto my page but uh i'm curious what, what reuter says about robert kennedy it being european you know central european uh news source robert kennedy jr to make 2024 bid and we've got a picture of robert kennedy and his wife actor Cheryl hines who i don't know but uh being a kennedy he's got you know a cute blonde wife to give him i that's kind of a tradition it's like, you know, black football players getting, you know, blonde, wife, blonde white wives. Don't ask me why. just seems to be a thing. We'll have to ask a black football player someday what's going on. But anyway, in the meantime, back to Reuters, Washington, April 6th. Yesterday, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a lawyer and vaccine skeptic. See, so see, in the American press, they call him an anti-vaxxer. In the German press, they call him a vaccine skeptic. See, words mean things, right? We'll make a bid for the White House in 2024, becoming the second long shot. Interesting to talk about shots. Democrat candidate. They challenge President Joe Biden. Well, see, I challenge whether he's President Joe Biden. I think he's just a, a hack that was put there, right? Uh, an expected run for re-election. Oh, I can't wait. Can you see the Kennedy Biden debate? Oh, that's going to be fascinating. First of all, you're going to have uh, Robert Kennedy uh, actually you know speaking English and you'll have Joe Biden. Drooling on whatever drugs he's on to keep him up there. Kennedy, 69, the son of assassinated 1968 presidential candidate U.S. Senator Robert Kennedy. So at least they, they're pretty dramatic about that, you know. And I was wondering when that was going to come out. Filed papers to the election. Mary Williamson. Okay, this is if they spell it correctly, Mary Ann with an e. Mary Williamson, the self-help guru who warned of the dark psychic force. So now get, see they, they want to make her look crazy. They want to make Robert Kennedy look crazy because of his stand against vaccines, which I think if anybody takes are crazy, but that's just me. Uh, So they're going to make them both look crazy. Well, what else are you going to do? If you're trying to make Biden, who is crazy, look sane, you have to take somebody who is completely sane, Robert Kennedy, and try and make him look crazy. That's how you do a contrast, right? So it's a contrast of opposites that aren't true. So Marion Williamson, they say, the self-help guru who warned of the dark psychic force, Unleashed by Republican President Donald Trump, launched a Democrat presidential bid for 2024, calling it justice and love. Well, I want to get Marian Williamson on the show. She's she's intriguing. So here we go. Says a longtime vaccine skeptic, Kennedy, was tapped in 2017 to oversee a presidential panel to review vaccine safety and science at the request of U.S. President-elect Donald Trump, a move that drew immediate criticism from scientists and public health experts who feared it would legitimize skeptics of childhood immunizations. Let me stop right there. This, I, I need, I need the gong. <laughs> this, this is a big moment here. Where's my gong? So just, this is, so I need to get your attention here. So here we go. This is a huge thing. No one's talking about this yet. We're going to. First, I want to read Marcos' thing. It says people from Hamburg called hamburgers. <laughs> That cracks me up. I didn't know that. So I love our European information. People from Frankfurt are called Frankfurters. People from Berlin are called Berliners. It's a German thing. Okay, I've got to find some weird town in Germany now. Um, you know, Zell am comes to mind. Are they Zell I guess they are. <laughs> anyway, um, so if you're from Cologneers, are you from Cologne? If you, are you a Cologneer? <laughs> this could get really fun. If you're from Baden Baden, are you a Baden Badener? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Germany. We have German listeners. I apologize. I do have fun at your expense sometimes. We need a good German contact to come in. and kind of like keep me, keep me uh, straight here. Then, he also, then Marco says from the Netherlands, while hamburger is used and quite correct, a term used by most true natives is Hans Hans-Siet, and Hans in plural. Okay, so, so seat must mean something in German other than chair, which is what it would mean here. Okay, that's fine. So, and here we have... Uh, uh, I guess they're called Pensacolians, <laughs> if you're from Pensacola. That seems a little long. I would call it say Pensacolan, but that's, that's me. All right. Now, let me read this, this paragraph again, because this is key. I'm going I'm to mark my, my thing here, 8:30. I'm going to go back a minute. 833, big star. This is critical. So let me read this again. A longtime vaccine skeptic, Kennedy, was tapped in 2017 to oversee a presidential panel to review vaccine safety and science at the request of U.S. President-elect Donald Trump. So if it's president-elect, it means before he was inaugurated. So this means before January 20th. So let me give you the sequence of events and what happened in uh, um, January. And this is going to cause us to go into special investigations. If you remember, Dr. Fascist, one week before the inauguration, or nine days before, so he was inaugurated January 20th, so that would be January 9th or 10th, somewhere in there, Dr. Fascist said that Trump, is going to have a pandemic sometime during his administration. He knew. Of course he knew. He was helping to plan it, right? So this is January, I think it was January 9th of 2017. Trump is inaugurated January twentieth. So some so why would Dr. Fascists did Dr. Fascists say that Trump was going to have a pandemic? And does that have a connection to Trump as president elect? In other words before January twentieth, but after the November election did were, Was the deep state, the fascist health department, the NIH, Dr. Fascist, the health Nazis, were they worried about Trump getting together with Kennedy, who doesn't trust vaccines at all? Trump, I don't think, had a strong opinion at this point. And the fact that they didn't get together and the deep criminal state of Dr. Fascist and the health Nazis pushed vaccine on everybody, pushed Trump literally out of the way. I mean, literally pushed him off the podium. And uh, the little dictator, you know, Dr. Fascist, got up there and started uh, directing traffic and uh, basically ordered lockdowns, even though he said there were suggestions and guidelines. But apparently people took that as orders because a lot of governors locked down, including our own Governor DeSantis in the beginning. You folks may not remember, safer at home, you know, close the beaches, close the parks, don't go outside, don't get fresh air. That was Governor DeSantis. And I was screaming at that point on, on the show. And I called him a dictator. And I wrote an article, Dictator DeSantis. Uh, the reprint of that is in my Substack, gregpenglis.substack.com, so you can find that easily. gregpenglis.substack.com. Let me type it out here in live chat so you can all get it. I wonder if I should use live chat for that too. G R E G P E N G L I S dot Substack. gregpenglis.substack.com. It's right there in live chat. Copy it, live it, love it, and away you go. But that's my question. So my question is, do these two know each other? Uh, are these two meeting behind the scenes? Uh, is it any accident that Kennedy is running for trump's third term <laughs> or his second second term let's put it that way because you can't have three terms right but because uh it's after um uh January twentieth of twenty twenty three two years into trump's first second term he he can actually take the White House any time at this point i don't think i really don't I think it's better than just uh because the deep state will use that against him. But if, if he teams up with Kennedy, what's going on behind the scenes? Are you as curious as I am? I think it's fascinating. Uh, I, I, you know, I really do. I there's, there's a lot to this. Let's find out. You know, I mean, how much can I find out? How much are they going to say, Greg, this is off the record, you can't say it? In which case, I can't. I won't. I, re- I really respect that. I'm not going to ruin people's plans. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to ask the questions to you folks. <laughs> Okay, so that's what. So this is critical. So Kennedy was picked by Trump to head up a vaccine panel. So obviously Trump is concerned about vaccines, and obviously his mind was twisted and excuse me and turned away from that to get the COVID shot and the whole warp speed program. You'll notice that Trump doesn't talk about warp speed anymore. He doesn't talk about how wonderful vaccines are. I think he knows, and I'm I'm thinking he might possibly regret having got it in the COVID shot because he got COVID after he got the COVID shot. Most people do apparently, or so it seems. Okay. So it says, uh, President-elect Donald Trump, so, so this move to put Kennedy on this panel in 2017 for January 20th, 2017, a move that drew immediate criticism from scientists and public health experts. I guarantee you those are all government people and big pharma. So the scientists, are, so it wasn't the people who were skeptical of vaccines because they didn't want them anyway. They thought that was, a, I'm sure they thought it was a great idea to put Kennedy on a vaccine panel and advise Trump. And I thought that was brilliant of Trump to request that information. So Trump's not a partisan either. I mean, he really isn't. I wouldn't be surprised to see Democrats like Robert Kennedy in his third or his second term. Anyway, so public health experts who feared it would legitimize skeptics. Well, skeptics are legitimized by being skeptics. That's what makes them legitimate. Okay? We, skeptics don't have to be legitimized. Okay? Skeptics just have to be. Okay, so if I'm skeptical of vaccines, I'm legitimate because I'm skeptical. Now, because somebody's pro pro vaccine, pro vaccines says my skepticism is legitimate. So that's that's crazy. That's just that's doublespeak. That's that's Orwell. So the fact. So what it should say, uh, but the the fact that people who are pro vaccine, who make money off it in government and industry, said that somebody who is who is uh, against these things um, has to be legitimized. That's just government power and propaganda. Anyway, it says, in 2021, Instagram removed Kennedy's account after he repeatedly shared debunked claims about COVID-19 in violation of its policies on the coronavirus pandemic. In other words, let me rephrase that in correct English. In 2021, Instagram illegally censored Robert Kennedy's account after he shared the truth that COVID vaccines were not needed and that early treatment worked. <laughs> so let me, let me rephrase that. So much for Reuters. Okay, next, next article. Um, Washington Examiner. This one's kind of short. Robert Kennedy Jr. runs for president to challenge Biden in 2024. See, they're not talking about that either. They don't want to think that anybody's going to challenge Biden, right? That's part of the fun of this. So deep state Biden has to run against Kennedy. Uh, Deep state, who knows, is going to have to run against um, Trump. Uh, That's a lot less likely because people can run against Biden because he's an idiot. But running against Trump, who's going to do that? Nobody, really. But they're going to try. We'll see. Mike Pence thinks he's going to do it because he uh, he put Biden in the White House and he thinks that was his uh, his due to the deep state. He, he uh, proved his worth. He made his bones for the deep state by keeping Trump from his legitimate second term. And now he should be nominee and president. Yeah. Mike Pence ain't going to happen. All right. Just go away. So the article from the Washington Examiner, a press uh, I do respect. So Robert F. Kennedy, Jr., the Democratic nephew of Robert Kennedy, declared his candidacy Let's see if I get some news. The 69-year-old's bid is considered a long shot in an effort to replace Joe Biden in 2024. Kennedy Jr. is the second Democrat candidate to announce a bid for the White House, author Marianne Williamson, also running in the Democrat race. Biden has not yet declared that he is seeking (laughs) reelection. That's going to be funny. Here we go. Uh, The decision by Kennedy Jr., the son of uh, former Attorney General, uh, comes a month after he launched a fundraising campaign on social media to help him decide. Obviously, he raised the money. He says, uh, looks like, OK, that's old news. Uh, top priority. Uh, here we go. Kennedy Jr. is considered an anti-vaccine activist. Well, that's even stronger than what Reuters said as him being a skeptic. And I think the earlier press said he was like a total lunatic on it. but <laughs> That's a different story. He says, having established an anti-vaccine charity, the Children's Health Defense. That's what I just read from, which excelled uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic his activism against vaccines predates the pandemic going back at least 15 years. So it's not like Kennedy just suddenly woke up with the COVID vaccine dilemma and said, you know what? I'm against this. No, 15 years. Now let's go back 15 years. So 2023, back 15 years would be, uh, what's, uh, 15 would be eight. Uh, so that would be 2008. Hmm. So that's post post anthrax. Post Gulf war, war syndrome. I'm just trying to think. So, so what? What caused? That's what I have to figure out. What was going on 15 years ago? Uh, Moderna. That's about the time Moderna was shortly created. After that, and the whole messenger RNA vaccine problem. Moderna was 2010. So, if he was uh, decided on uh, his vaccine activism in 2008, 2005 was a big year. That's when uh, Fauci actually declared that uh, hydroxychloroquine stops coronaviruses. <laughs> Look it up. 2005. See, so he knew, right? Uh, here we go. Now, here's what's interesting. This is another part of the story. His activism has earned condemnation from his own family, including from younger sister, Terry. Health officials have labeled his rhetoric misleading and dangerous. I would, lead, I would label it truthful and necessary. Um, but that's the difference between me and them. Kennedy Jr., the article says, has also been critical of infectious disease expert Dr. Anthony Fauci. Well, you know, Fauci's an expert, but not on infectious diseases. He's an expert on making money for himself, being a bureaucrat, propaganda, uh, terror, and a bunch of other things. He's an expert in medicine. No, he's not an expert there. Uh, so, so Kennedy released his book in 2021 titled The Real Anthony Fauci. In it, he accuses Fauci of assisting a historic coup d'etat against Western democracy. Yeah, basically he did. They took over our government uh, in the name of, uh, of health. Never let the doctors take over your government. Never let the doctors have monopoly power. Never let the doctors do what they say they can do, which is restrict your constitutional rights because of a public health emergency. They can't. There is no emergency that can restrict your constitutional rights, period. I don't care what the government says. It's always the government that says it. The government that would restrict your rights gives itself permission to, to restrict your rights. Well, that's a contradiction right there. Anyway, I need a break, so I'm going to take a break. I'm going to play you here. What can I play you for a few minutes at quarter to nine? We've got about an hour and 15 minutes left. i can only talk for so long, then I get bored. I get bored with myself. Ah, what does Marco say? Oh, the, the F-Town changed their name to... <laughs> I can't read this over the air. <laughs>
2: uh,
0: okay, so, so the, that would be Frankfurt. Uh, okay, I, guys, we live chat on your own. I'm just going to save that one. So I'm some of my old uh, Santa Rosa Volunteer stuff. Um, they're not supporting the show currently, but that's okay. They did, and because they did, uh, I made stuff for them and for us that I can play. So let's uh, play here. Let's play the Sedition Act. So now, this is really uh, relevant um, because the Sedition Act is what it was called the Alien and Sedition Act back in the in the 1700s. So shortly after our government did everything right with the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and the Bill of Rights, they did everything wrong with the Alien and Sedition Act. Sedition is when you criticize your government. Okay. So basically, Dr. Fascist when he says that all you folks are not following the science and criticizing the government, you're all guilty of sedition. So anybody who criticizes the government. In other words, as as Bill Clinton used to say, our anti-government, you're all guilty of sedition, but sedition is not a crime in the United States because it can't be, because the Constitution specifically says we have freedom of speech, including the right to criticize our government. So let me play this for you now. Take a little break and come back, uh, and we'll talk about more articles, but I hope you find this interesting. I did when I made it. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with founding moments, insights into our founding documents, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers here in Santa Rosa County, Florida. Santa Rosa Volunteers is available at their website, SRV1776.com. That's SRV1776.com. This week, I want to break from the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers to consider one of the many aberrations in the early days of the land of the free. That is, the Sedition Act of 1798. Granted, this is always grouped with the companion bills on aliens, but I see them as separate issues. Why would a new government formed from colonies under rules of sedition from a foreign monarch bring about that same tyranny into our government so early in its existence? The Constitution was ratified on September 17, 1787. The Bill of Rights was ratified on December 15, 1791. So it was already in the supreme law of the land that Congress could make no law that abridged the freedom of speech, thus making any subordinate law on sedition unconstitutional automatically. And yet it happened. All power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Therefore. If you have a government of good laws and yet bad officials who crave the preservation of power more than the alleged guarantees of freedom, freedom takes second place. You can see that in evidence throughout the entire government response to a coronavirus that would have run its course naturally in about 10 weeks, just like the flu every year and would have been gone by the summer of 2020 when all viruses fade until the winter. And yet, look at the massive amount of power taken from the people in a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Sedition is defined in my online dictionary as conduct or speech inciting people to rebel against the authority of a state or monarch. So what did the government put into a law that so obviously came from the former ruler of the colonies into the new government of the United States? The Sedition Act is titled An Act for the Punishment of Certain Crimes, against the United States. In other words, conduct or speech that criticizes the government. (laughs) Where have we heard that before? Section 1 of the Sedition Act reads, be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America, in Congress assembled, that if any persons shall unlawfully combine or conspire together with intent to oppose any measure or measures of the government of the United States which are or shall be directed by proper authority or to impede the operation of any law of the United States or to intimidate or prevent any person holding a place or office in or under the government of the United States from undertaking, performing, or executing his trust or duty, and if any person or persons with intent as aforesaid shall counsel, advise, or attempt to procure any insurrection riot, unlawful assembly, or combination, whether such conspiracy, threatening, counsel, advice, or attempt shall have have the proposed effect or not, he or they shall be deemed guilty of a high misdemeanor. This, of course, violates the entire First Amendment except with regard to religion. It gets worse. Section (laughs) 2 says in part, and be it further enacted, that if any person shall write, print, utter, or publish, or shall cause or procure to be written, printed, uttered, or published, or shall knowingly and willingly assist or aid in writing, printing, uttering, or publishing any false, scandalous, and malicious writing or writings against the government of the United States, or either House of the Congress of the United States, or of the President of the United States, with intent to defame the said government, or either House of the said Congress, or the said President, or to bring them or either of them into contempt or disrepute, or to excite against them or either or any of them the hatred of the good people of the United States. Hmm. In other words, saying anything against the government of the United States or anyone in it is a crime punishable by jail and fines. This effectively creates political prisoners in the United States, much like the innocent people in the D.C. Gulag Jail for being in the Capitol building January 6th. If that were not bad enough, within the Sedition Act is probably the most dangerous provision to individual liberty that I have yet seen in the founding documents, and provides a shocking precursor to the future neutralization of our jury system and the supremacy of the government courts over the people. Section 3. And be it further enacted and declared, that if any person shall be prosecuted under this act for the writing or publishing any libel aforesaid, it shall be lawful for the defendant upon the trial of the cause to give an evidence in his defense the truth of the matter contained in publication charge as a libel and the jury who shall try the cause shall have a right to determine the law and the facts under the direction of the court as in other cases the key words here are under the direction of the court the whole point of a jury is to not only determine the guilt of the defendant, the restitution in a civil case, but most important for the jury is to determine whether the laws implied are fair, just, constitutional, and are not arbitrary and capricious reservoirs of unlimited government power over the people. Jurors can do whatever they want because they are the representatives of the people over the judges who work for the government and therefore work for the people, and yet, as virtually every judge instructs their juries that they can only judge the facts of the case and not the law. That lie is repeated every day in courts all across the country. And now I see where it came from. Section 3 is really saying that the juries, and therefore the people, are under the direction of the court. What the Sedition Act really does is makes criticism of the government a crime, and allows government judges to direct the juries that would hear any case under this act, thus destroying the right of free speech, and to redress grievances against the government, and to due process and the right to a jury trial of one's peers. One could imagine anyone charged under this act would be guilty until proven innocent, and then ruined by government if they were proved innocent. Can you think of any parallels to the rights of free speech today? The Sedition Act was approved July 14, 1798, signed by John Adams, President of the United States. This is Greg Pangloss for Action Radio with Founding Moments, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers. Their website is srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. Please share this report to anyone who needs it. dedicated to fixing everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, yeah, so it's now 8.55. We've got a little bit of time left before, we, uh, before we're before we done for today. Uh, so about an hour. Eh, it depends. We'll see how so much time I want to put in here. Just going back over my initial uh, opening comments section of my, my plan for the show, covered the airplane crash. Um, apparently, the IRS wants to do your taxes. Well, isn't that nice? Isn't that great? Think about the possibilities, right? That do, do you want the government, to, uh, you know, the NIH to do your surgery too? I don't think so. But it's kind of funny. Apparently, it's some program part of the, uh, the Inflation Increasing Reduction Act, you know, which was the, the Inflation Increasing Act that they called reduction. Uh, apparently, somewhere in there is some program where the IRS will be able to do your taxes. Well, isn't that special? I mean, do think think they're going to err on your side? Do you think they're going to find every deduction? Do you think they're not going to charge you thousands of dollars extra to, you know, and get incentives? Do you think they're not going to pay their, their people who are doing your taxes more for finding more money? Of course they are. This is why it's so funny. Anyway, so that's not going to go anywhere. Uh, and the other thing we talked about, um, I did an interview Wednesday with uh, Wendy Arthur, who is our Oh My God reporter. And so we actually have an Oh My God report, uh, or as we call it, Christianity with a kick. So that's kind of a cool thing to uh, to listen to. I'm going to do another one today. Uh, Jason Myers, is Stand Your Ground. And so uh, that's going to happen sometime after the show. I'll get that. So just keep watching Facebook. You'll see when we uh, get together. But I want to interview everybody around here that is in any way connected with Action Radio. And so do me a series of interviews. Uh, I'll take care of that as we go. All right. So back to my articles. The uh, the reason I think this is so significant uh, of Robert Kennedy um, and Trump as hopefully the nominees of their parties. Well, I think they will be. Well, I don't, I don't know if Robert Kennedy's is going to be. I know Trump's going to be. Um, but the significance of that uh, is that both people are hated by their parties, by their deep state corrupt members. So uh, where's the article I was going to get? Well, well, we'll just kind of start work through these here. Did I finish the, the one I was looking at? Hang on. There was no, there's another one I was looking at. Ah, Here we go. Yeah, this is Vanity Fair. So this is a leftist website, very leftist website um, that uh, just shows how much the left hates. Uh, Robert Kennedy, well, not the left, but the Democrats hate, Democrat Party hates Robert F. Kennedy. You think he's a Kennedy? Wouldn't he be royalty? No. <laughs> not if he gets in the way of Dr. Fascist and the, and the vaccine you know, money gravy train. So this is Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential bid is doomed to fail, but that's not the point. <laughs> well, it was not the point, why did you say it in the headline? Anyway, Vanity Fair. So this is by Caleb A. Karma, E-C-A-R-M-A, somebody I've never heard of, who wrote this yesterday, who wrote the rabid, rabid, R-E-B-I-D. This is serious stuff now. Remember, we had skeptic, we had uh, uh, vaccine activists. Now we've got the rabid anti-vaxxer. This is how they ratchet up the language, right? So the rabid anti-vaxxer and nephew <laughs> of John F. Kennedy reported, la- reportedly launched his 2024 campaign. So he didn't really do it, it's just reportedly, right? Uh, on, the advance, on, on the advice of Steve Bannon, who thought he'd make a great chaos agent in the Democrat Party. This is another angle to the story I wanted to cover. Because this fascinates me, too. So let me read that, that headline again, that propagandistic thing from Caleb Karma. There's is a Democrat name for you. The red anti-vaxxer and nephew of John F. Kennedy reportedly launched his 2024 campaign on the advice of Steve Bannon. So in other words, Kennedy could – Robert F. Kennedy is, couldn't make a decision on his own. He had to go to, to a, a Trump advisor, Steve Bannon, for advice. Oh, really? Oh, please give me a break. He said, but the article, the headline says on the advice of Steve, well, the, the subheadline, on the advice of Steve Van, Bannon, who thought he'd make for a great chaos agent in the Democrat Party. Now, why would Robert Kennedy want to hurt the Democrat Party? He doesn't. He wants to improve the Democrat Party. And the best way to improve it is to get the deep state out of it. Get, get Brandon and Obama and Hillary Clinton and all this. Get rid of them. Get them out of the party. He loves the Democrat Party. He doesn't want to listen to a Republican chaos agent. And, and then quite honestly, Steve Bannon doesn't care about the Republican, the Democrat Party. He's trying to fix the Republican Party. So, why, so So then, you know, look below the scenes, read between the lines. Okay, think about this. Why would Steve Bannon talk to uh, Robert Kennedy? Is it because he wants to scrub the Democrats? No. This is what gave me the idea. Well, part, well actually, I already thought of the idea, but this is what reinforced the idea that was really going on here is that Robert Kennedy and Donald Trump are going to get together behind the scenes. They're going to, they're going to openly campaign against each other, but it's going, to be, it's going to be a gentleman's campaign of issues. It's going to be like boxing with Marcus of Queensbury rules as opposed to street fighting, <laughs> which is what the Democrats normally do. Democrats want you know, street fights with you know, chains and razors and things like that. These guys are going to have boxing gloves, and they're going to have rules, and there'll be a ring. So it's going to be politics the way it's supposed to be. Uh, they're going to be fighting for their positions, don't get me wrong but they're going to be doing it in a way that's completely different than the Democrats who cheat on elections. So that's, uh, that's interesting. So Steve Bannon's interest in this is Steve Bannon hates the deep state. First and foremost, Steve Bannon hates the deep state. So the reason that Steve Bannon would want to help, would want to help Robert Kennedy is so that Robert Kennedy can do to the Democrat deep state, what Donald Trump is doing to the Republican deep state, which is basically the same thing with the two branches in the different parties. Don't you find that interesting? I do. I think this is fascinating when I found out that Steve Bannon, and again, I thought of it first, um, that uh, you know that these two are going to get together and block the deep state. Then I found out Steve Bannon's involved. I think it's really interesting. All right. I try to be truthful with you just in case. you will know, take credit when, I, when I'm right and when I'm not, then I'll say, hey, they gave me the idea. I'd like to uh, make that clear. So the article says, the article from Vanity Fair, who hates Robert Kennedy because uh, they're, they're, they're leftists and Robert Kennedy is a, is a liberal, big difference. Caleb, what's his name, says among Democrat voters, the appetite for an anti-vax presidential candidate might seem next to non-existent. But that's not stopping Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the 69-year-old son of, you know, OK, from throwing his hat in the ring, a leading figure in the anti-vaccine movement for nearly 20 years. So the last one had 15 years. Now, now it's up to 20. So uh, yeah, the, the, the information keeps changing. Uh, Kennedy is now gearing up to challenge Joe Biden in the Democrat primary and submitted a statement of candidacy to the Federal Elections Commission. So now he's already talking about gearing up a challenge to Joe Biden. Well, Joe Biden, uh, challenging Joe Biden is easy. (laughs) You just say something, stand up to him. Joe Biden is not, uh, you know, I mean, he was put there. Well, you know the story. All right. Back to the article. According to CBS News correspondent Robert Costa, isn't he the one that used to yell at Trump all the time? That arrogant, obnoxious SOB? Yeah, I think it's the same guy. Well, it figures that Vanity Fair will quote, you know, the person that hates Trump probably hates uh, Robert Kennedy for the same reason, because he loves the deep state. Deep state probably employs Robert Costum. So here's where it gets interesting. So so you see, they have to have a reason that Robert Kennedy is running, other than the Democrat Party is a bunch of deep state corrupt Marxists. They have to make it seem that Robert Kennedy is crazy and that he's really a Republican. This is exactly like um, Trump, you know, got where he is because of Russian collusion. He's with Putin. Trump is with Putin. That's why he got where he was. It's a secret dossier. Trump is colluding with Putin. Putin is the one that helped get him all. a like, bunch of nonsense, right? We know it's nonsense. So what's the contrary? St- what's, the, what's the corollary story to that? The corollary story to that is that Robert Kennedy is cooperating with Steve Bannon, who's like almost as bad as QAnon. I mean, you might as well, you might also just say it. Steve Bannon is, is a conspiracy theorist. Get your best nasal tone, folks. He's a conspiracy theorist. Steve Bannon is a conspiracy theorist. He, he looks like QAnon. He's one of Downs people. In other words, he's a good guy. <laughs> okay. So, let's, let's, uh, so, let's, so, so, so this is where Vanity Fair gives it. So the, liberals, the left gives everything away. You just have to read their own material, right? So here's the article. According to CBS News correspondent Robert Costa, the fantastical long-shot bid <laughs> was contrived by Trump World Power Broker Steve Bannon, who had reportedly spent months... How would they know this, right? Spent month. What, do you think Kennedy reports to Vanity Fair that he's talking to Steve Bannon? I don't think so. Do you think Steve Bannon reports to Vanity Fair that he's talking to, to, to uh, uh, Robert Kennedy? I don't think so. But apparently they know. <laughs> do you think Robert Costa, they, they confide in Robert Costa, who hates Trump, that uh, Kennedy and Trump are talking to each other? I don't think so. And Steve Bannon is behind it? I don't think so. I think this is all made up. This is why I think it's so funny. All right. Let me start again in my best authoritarian liberal voice. the fantastical long shot bid was contrived by Trump world. That's all one word, by the way, Trump world power broker, Steve Bannon, who had reportedly spent months urging Kennedy to run in the hopes that he might sow chaos on the left. Do you remember Rush Limbaugh's chaos thing? We had once that, um, I think it was once that Trump was winning, you know, Bruce uh, Lumba said, okay, you might as well vote for uh, for Hillary Clinton against Joe Biden, whatever it was, or vote for Joe Biden against Hillary Clinton. Whatever it was, Trump had Operation Chaos where he had all the Republicans in safe states vote in the Democrat primaries where there were open primaries. That was his Operation Chaos. Anyway, so they think Steve Bannon wants to do the same thing. Steve Bannon, who had reportedly spent months urging Kennedy to run. Do you think Robert Kennedy listens to Steve Bannon when it comes to running for president? No, he doesn't except he might listen to Steve Bannon in terms of working with Trump on vaccine policy uh, and a new um, health and human services department. I would not be surprised if they've already talked about Robert Kennedy being secretary of uh, health and human services, HSS or HHS health and human services. They've already talked about that. That would not surprise me. What's going to be funny is to watch Congress have Trump write a Democrat and what the Democrats are going to do. In the confirmation hearings, I'm sorry you can't do that. We only, only, Trump can only appoint Republicans to, to his cabinet. <laughs> this is going to get fun. The, the next couple of years are going to be a blast, and I'm, I'm just glad to be on radio at this particular time in history. Uh, here we go. Then it says Vanity Fair has reached out to Kennedy for comment. What, now? <laughs> they say they've been doing this for months, and now they're reaching out for comment? I just find that interesting. Okay. Kennedy also has ties to other shady figures in Donald Trump. So they didn't say Steve Bannon was shady. They said he was Trump world power broker. But now they say he is shady because Trump, because Kennedy also has to other shady figures in Donald Trump's orbit, uh, you know, instead of saying Donald Trump's, you know, advisors, you know, it says in July 2021, as the rights hysteria over COVID-19 vaccines was in full swing. In other words, before as we told you they were going to kill and injure people, we told you, we told you this was going to happen. Ed Dowd has now documented that it's happened. We, I, all, I told you, I said, don't take the vaccine. I said, don't take it. I said, go for the early treatments. I said that as early as February of 2020, two weeks before 15 days to slow the spread. I said, we don't need vaccines. We have early treatments. Don't be stupid. There is no pandemic. I said it then. I said it for the next three years. I'm still saying it now. And I was right absolutely 100% right, everything I said about COVID. The government was wrong. So who's the one who's hysterical? They are hysterical over their propaganda and their death machine. That's what's hysterical. What's hysterical is that people believed it. I don't know why you believed it, I told you. You know, simple logic and reason. You don't need a vaccine that takes 15 years for a virus that's already here, it's too late. So if it's, so the fact that they took no action other than vaccines, which take 15 years minimum and still don't work, but the fact that they took no action on anything else except vaccines, knowing that it takes 15 years at least to make them somewhat safe, proves that they weren't serious about this. It wasn't a serious disease. That's how you knew. You Look at their actions. You knew COVID was not serious. Well, except for some people. But, I mean, so is a common cold. Cold will kill you if you're, if you're you know, really old and you know, on your way anyway. You know, and flu does. Flu kills far more people than COVID ever did by a huge amount. Uh, John Cullen is still documenting The flu cases have always exceeded the COVID deaths, by far. So when people are going to hospital, oh, I got COVID. No, you don't. You got flu and pneumonia. That's what's killing more people than anything else and always did. (laughs) Two days rest, that was over COVID. And I've had flu. I don't get flu anymore because I've already had it. My body knows what it looks like. Pneumonia, never had it. Hope I don't. We'll see. Today is another day. Back to the article. (sighs) Ah. July 2021. 2021, see, I was hysterical back in February of 2020 in terms of what these people like Hysterical, in other words, I was, I was already warning people, don't do this. Take chloroquine, you know. And the two weeks before, 15 days to solar spread, I always said there is no pandemic. How many people said that? I'd love to go back and do a survey. How many people in the news were saying openly and actively, there is no pandemic, it's all a hoax, there's a virus out there that you can treat with early treatments, get over it, Use the early treatments. You know, hopefully you'll be fine. You should be. Most people will be. 99.9% will be. Uh, and, so, and that's it. Stop worrying about this. How many people said that? I did. Just how many people said that in February of 2020? That's what I want to find out. Back to the article. Here we go. It says the photo shared on Instagram showed Kennedy posing with Roger Stone. <gasps> oh, no. Kennedy posing with Roger Stone. The notorious dirty trickster of the Republican Party. Really? Roger Stone? I've heard Donald Segretti was the dirty trickster of the Nixon administration. I've never heard Roger Stone called the notorious dirty trickster. In fact, I'd be very curious to find any dirty tricks that Roger Stone did. She knows they don't list any in this article. There are no dirty tricks listed of Roger Stone, the notorious dirty trickster, according to Vanity Fair. Hmm, interesting. Then it says, and Michael Flynn, (gasps) they're getting all my heroes. (laughs) Steve Bannon, Roger Stone, and Michael Flynn, all my heroes, right? They're calling them bad people. Vanity Fair, you suck. (laughs) All right, this is Michael Flynn, the former Trump national security advisor turned QAnon influencer. Well, wait a minute. QAnon influencer? What, do you think Michael Flynn sits down and types out instructions for QAnon? You think? <laughs> you know, that wouldn't be surprising if Michael Flynn is part of QAnon. But see, I don't think of QAnon as a bad thing. I think of QAnon as a bunch of really highly intelligent military and uh, civilian intelligence people warning us what the deep state is doing. I think QAnon a good thing. Yeah, you can call me. QAnon's a good thing. Freedom of speech, say what they want. Take it, read it, think about it. If it makes sense, great. If it doesn't make sense, reject it. But Donald Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, Roger Stone, and Michael Flynn. I mean, that's like the next cabinet. (laughs) So here we go. So let's put Steve Bannon as chief of staff in Trump's next administration. Let's put Roger Stone. uh, Where would it be a good place for him? Maybe he should be chief of staff. Where would we put Roger Stone? Uh, National Security. No, no. Michael Flynn should be attorney general. Um, Roger Stone. I'll we'll find a place. I'm not sure what his specialty is. He's brilliant. Maybe he should be a campaign or, or something. We'll think of a place. Anyway, but these are the folks that hold in Trump's cabinet. So Michael Flynn, former Trump National Security Advisor turned QAnon influencer. <laughs> the picture was reportedly taken at an event hosted by Reawaken America, a Christian nationalist touring group. What? what? <laughs> like a musician? <laughs> okay, so Josie's been at this event, right? The, the, the Reawaken America tour. In fact, I tried to get on that tour myself. They said no. Well, they didn't say anything, actually. Is what they said, but they certainly didn't say yes. I said, look, I've got vaccine product liability. I've got uh, you know, an end to big tech censorship. I've got a bill that disarms all the federal bureaucrats. I've got a bill that uh, takes away the power of Congress to borrow money. Can I make a speech? <laughs> no. Okay, fine. Well, I'll keep doing what I do here. Anyway, so, so, so they're talking about the Reawaken America Tour as a Christian nationalist. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with being Christian and nationalist? I'm a nationalist. I believe in my nation. So did Harry Truman. So did Franklin Roosevelt. So did John Kennedy. A lot of good people are nationalists. And they they also happen to be Christians, by the way, too. How about that? So what's a Christian nationalist? It's somebody that believes in Jesus Christ, especially on this Good Friday, that also believes in our nation. Well, that's a good thing. (laughs) Sorry, folks. Sorry, Vanity Fair. So it says the picture was reportedly taken. So they're taking one picture and because they're taking a picture, do you know how many selfies President uh, Trump does with other people? He's done with all kinds of folks. Does he know who all these people are and have all their backgrounds? No. So you take one agent provocateur, you have one really clandestine, and person, have them take a picture with one of these celebrities, and say, look, see, they know. They're, they're guilty by association. They know this person. They're, they're working together. No, they're not. Anyway. So it was reportedly taken an event hosted by Rewake in America, Christian Nationalist, oh, Christian Nationalist touring group made for and by QAnon followers, <laughs> anti-vaxxers, and election deniers. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> well, I'm not really a QAnon follower because I don't know how to find QAnon. I don't read QAnon stuff uh, unless other people hand me. I know it's out there. I just I got a show to do. I got to do other things. Anti-vaxxer, absolutely. Since the mid '90s. Election denier? No, I'm an election truther. The truth of the election is that Brandon lost and Trump won. So if you want to include me in that crowd, Christian, nationalist, someone who reads QAnon against vaccines and knows that the election was a fraud, yeah, that's me. I'll say it proudly. Anybody got a problem? Call me up. I don't care. Uh, Let's check live chat once again as I uh, ramble on here incoherently. Oh, everybody's still there, but no one said anything for a bit. That's okay, fine. Live chat's where you type in. uh, Skype line is where you contact us directly. And let's continue on. According to CBS, all right, where do we go? Here we go. So the picture was taken. You've got the QAnon followers, the anti-vaxxers, the election deniers, a crowd that, needless to say, but <laughs> well, they're going to say it anyway, has very little overlap with the Democrat voters Kennedy would need to win his primary bid. Well, maybe there's a lot of those folks who are Democrats, too. Do you ever think of that? Vanity Fair? They say it is more than likely, then, that, that Kennedy is part of an oddball right-wing plot to pester Biden in what could otherwise be a mostly uncontested primary. That's what they want. See, they don't want any. They want Brandon. If Brandon has any opposition, he's going to look stupid. He looks stupid anyway. But they don't want to look any more stupid than absolutely necessary. Just stupid enough to win, but not stupid enough to be challenged. So, and then self-help author Marianne Williamson, uh, says the 80-year-old president, well, the 80-year-old Joseph Biden <laughs> has yet to reveal his reelection plans. Well, that's not true. He said he was, he said he's running all the time. So that's, you know, they're lying. Kennedy showed his interest in the 2024 race last month, floating the idea casually in Twitter posts. What do you mean floating the idea casually? It was pretty direct. Should I run if I raise enough money? It wasn't floating it casually. God, these people lie so badly. And they lie so obviously. Dennis is once a respected environmental lawyer. So this is when Kennedy was a good guy. Trump, once a respected businessman. See the two, the parallels these two have? This is why they have to get together. This is fascinating. So they say once reported environmental lawyer who advocated on behalf of minority and indigenous communities. See, that made him a good guy. So when Robert Kennedy advocated for the environment, even though he never mentioned climate change, on behalf of minority, which makes him a good guy, and indigenous communities, which makes him an even better guy, Kennedy has spent the past few years, I thought it was over 20, right, capitalizing on the anti-vax racket. We're the rack of the anti We don't make money being against vaccines. People who are pro-vaccines, who push them on the public, who get mandates, they're the ones making the money, not us. You stupid idiots. Anyway, this is which he joined in 2005, long before the COVID pandemic. 2005 is also the year that Anthony Fauci declared that hydroxychloroquine kills coronaviruses. Hmm, isn't that interesting? back to the article here. Uh, his, uh, then it goes, he later published a best-selling book in T- in T- that we already talked about that book. His anti-vax charity, Children's Health Defense, has reportedly raked in $6.8 million, which is nothing compared to the billions that uh, Dr. Fascist and uh, the health Nazis and, all, and Big Pharma and Big Tech have taken in. But they've talking about his $6.8 since the start of the pandemic. That's three years. So that's $7 million, That's about $2.5 a year. That's nothing. In politics, two and a half million dollars a year for for a candidate to raise money—that's nothing. Anyway, it says release the film. Did we got that already? Da, da, da. COVID, vac- Covid, slow down, Greg. Covid nineteen vaccines are being used to surreptitiously test medical experiments. Well, Covid nineteen vaccines are medical experiments, and they are not vaccines. Oh, it says, (laughs) says, oh, so the film in 2021 claims that COVID-19 vaccines are being used to surreptitiously test medical experiments on black Americans. That's what they said. Last year, he went so far as to say that Jews were freer in Hitler's Germany than unvaccinated Americans are now. He later apologized for that remark. I'd be really curious the context of if Robert Kennedy actually said that and how he said that. Well, uh, were Jews mandated to take a vaccine in Hitler's Germany? I don't know. Interesting thought. So in other words, Jews in Hitler's Germany, before they were killed and exterminated, um, yeah, it'd be interesting. What regulations were they under? Could Jews operate businesses, or or were they locked down like here? Could Jews walk around without masks, or were they mandated to wear masks like we were here in places? Could Jews go to schools and churches and uh, various other things and synagogues, or were they banned like people were here? So if you look at it in the context that Jews in Hitler's Germany were obviously persecuted, businesses destroyed, uh, and eventually the Holocaust, but pre-Holocaust, were Jews in Germany freer than people were here under the lockdown? And the answer actually is yes, before the, uh, the Holocaust started, while it was still just at the persecution level. Because we had all our businesses locked down and our schools closed. And, and you know, mandating you inject yourself with a poison, messenger RNA, God knows what. Well, I don't think the, the, the Jews were given mass drugs until they were killed with Zyklon B gas in the Holocaust. But pre-Holocaust Germany, I bet you that's what, the, what they were talking about. So if I know Robert Kennedy, um, I would guess that if he made a remark saying the Jews were freer in Hitler's Germany, it would have been pre-Holocaust. It would have been uh, the fact that Jews were registered as Jews. They had to wear yellow stars of David. Uh, you knew which businesses were Jewish. Uh, of course, the, the public did crystal knocks destroying all the German uh, German Jewish businesses. But uh, were the rules for Jews in Hitler's Germany less severe than the rules for Americans under COVID lockdown? Finish the question. On that note, what else can I do? <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, I'm president, Let's get away from Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair sucks. Washington Examiner. I'm pretty much done. <laughs> I don't know what else. To, you know, I've got some of the articles. Let me take another break. Play something else here. Uh, What's it now? Nine, nine, eighteen. See, uh, there's no point in pursuing the show if I get tired and not able to talk because I lose all my enthusiasm and the material gets boring. I don't want to be boring. I really don't want to be boring. So let me play you. Let's take a little time. Let me play you one of my favorite interviews. I haven't played this for a while. Dr. Walter Williams, Uh, my first big interview. And like my one with Ted Dowd, I still get nervous before big interviews. I I over-prepare, I get a little lost sometimes, but I still manage to ask great questions. And it sounds great when you listen to it because you don't realize when I'm actually doing the interview, I'm like, oh my God, what do I do now? You you don't hear that. But let's go back to a a W-E-B-Y classic. It's 24 minutes long Uh, and at the end of that, I'll I'll pick something really good to talk about. But this this goes back. So this is my very first interview. Uh, It would have been like, let me see, March, it was probably March or April of 2017. And Dr. Waltham Williams was the uh, chairman of the economics department at George Mason University. Brilliant man. Used to fill in for Rush Limbaugh all the time. He's the one that had the uh, the exemption for white people. You know, or the, or the uh, exoneration of white people. You don't have to feel guilty for slavery anymore. He was that guy. He was really fun. He'd, uh, he'd come on with Russia's show and sing black by popular demand. Anyway, it's one of my favorite interviews, and I thought I'd, uh, I'd like to play it every once in a while just to let you know that somebody who really knew economics, who really knew what was going on, supported what we were doing here at Action Radio when I first got started. Um, back in 24 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, baby. Time for the Action Radio Hour. It's 8:06 in the morning. I don't get the music down, and I want to get to our guest right away. So let's introduce him now. Got my music? You doesn't my music. Ah, thank you very much. He received a Ph.D. in economics from U.C.L.A. He is an economics professor and former department head of George Mason University. He has authored over 150 publications, done tons of radio and television appearances, including mine, with more awards than I have time to mention. Let's have a round of applause for Dr. Walter Williams. Dr. Williams, thank you so much for coming on my show.
3: Good morning, and thank you for inviting me.
0: Oh, believe me, it's my pleasure to have you on. I'm have, i filling you here, and I have questions I've wanted to ask you for years, so I want to get right to them. First of all, we're in a budget battle that's already started, and we have the national uh, debt ceiling. National debt and the debt ceiling being raised as issues are coming up. But we've got this $20 trillion debt hanging over our heads. What does that mean for the economy, and, and how does that affect individual Americans?
3: Well, first, I I think uh, uh, there's no hope of our ever paying off the national debt. Uh, That is, most countries that have a national debt, uh, what they do is just simply repudiate it uh, through uh, inflation. That is, just destroyed through inflation. But uh, what the national debt also means is that it's going to, uh, when when we see interest rates uh, uh, rise, it's going to be a huge part of the federal budget. And so, uh, okay. it, 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 you know, it, it, it's, it's not good uh, what we're doing as a nation. But, however, uh, the national debt grows because the uh, the American people want Congress to do those kind of things that make it grow. That is, to they want Congress to spend money.
0: Interesting. Um, has anybody done any forecast to, as to how much national debt or economy can actually support?
3: Um, i don 't know right now the national debt is about a hundred hundred uh, and three percent of uh, uh i 'm sorry uh the, na- the national debt is r- very very large relative to the gdp but okay. we're uh, we 're better off than many other countries and and there 's no particular uh um, no, no particular estimate that I know of, uh, where you know where it rings the uh, bells for disaster.
0: And here's the the reason I'm asking that question is because I think the more important question is if we don't know how much national debt our country can support, then how can Congress, in any good conscience at all, raise the the debt ceiling?
3: Well, the, well, look, the, these people are politicians. Yeah. Uh, that is that is look. You have to recognize that a congressman's, uh, let's say a a member of the House Representative, his time horizon is two years. Okay. Uh, A senator may be four or six years. Now those people are not concerned about what happens to our country in 2030. Yeah. Because uh, you know they, they they might be dead by 2030, and if they do the kind of things now. That protect our country in 2030, the American people will run them out of office.
0: Which brings up my next question, and that is, and I told you about this ahead of time. Uh, Calvin Coolidge, being one of my favorite presidents, I looked up some numbers, and I got this from a Heritage Foundation article. Uh, Calvin Coolidge inherited in World War after World War One and the Woodrow Wilson mess. Um, just this horrible economy. But what he did was he cut spending 43% from 1921 to 1924. He dropped the highest tax bracket from 73% to 29%, and that went from 1921 to 1929. And reduced the national debt from 24 billion to 16.9 billion. So I translate. Right
3: that, we had the Roaring Twenties.
0: Exactly, we had the Roaring Twenties. So what I'm getting to is, if that was repeated today, and I've run the numbers here, if Trump repeated that today, we'd have a current budget. That would go from 4.3 trillion down to only 2.4 trillion. The top tax rate would go from 39.6 down to 15.7, and the national debt would be reduced from 20 trillion to about 14 trillion. What would that mean for our economy if we could repeat what Calvin Coolidge did to create the early 20s? It would
3: just be fantastic. It would yeah. be great for our economy, but uh, uh, but uh, President Trump just cannot do that. Look, look, yeah. the. The major components of the of federal spending of the of the uh, federal budget are social security, okay. Medicare, and Medicaid. Now, touching those things is political suicide. and And any president, uh, uh, who 's not going to do something about social security and medic and medicare uh, is is not really serious about ju- uh, uh, reigning in the uh, the federal spending
0: Have you seen anything from the Trump administration that would lead you to think they 're going to do something with these entitlements
3: well um uh, I don't see any indications. That is, that is a, a person that gets into office and stays in office. He has to be a smart politician, right. and he can't listen to what I, what Walter Williams will tell him, <laughs> because that's political suicide. I'm listening. <laughs> but <laughs> and, you're not a politician.
0: <laughs> well, actually, um, what I'm trying to do, uh, and I want to tell you about this speaker, I'm trying to take talk radio and make it action radio. And what that means is my audience becomes a citizen legislature. I'm going to be working with my local congressman. We're going to be writing bills on a, on a website. We're going to be filing them. And so the whole idea is to change the relationship from the citizen to the government uh, in a way that's never been done before by using radio, by using the Internet, by having um, a direct you know, participation. In writing legislation, because my guiding principle is that the people give their consent to be governed through writing the laws by which they are governed, and that's what I'm trying to bring in. So this is why I'm asking these questions: as what can we do as citizens? Is there any effect that an average person can have other than you know calling a politician to to you know affect economic policy?
3: Well, well, look, look, uh, you, you live in the state of Florida, yes, sir, and there are many retirees in the state of Florida, okay, and. And you tell me what politician is going to say, uh, is going to do anything about Social Security. He'll have the citizens, uh, 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 you know, uh, drawing and quartering him. Hmm. If you, I mean, if you do anything to Social Security. and And a lot of people, unfortunately, a lot of people believe that their Social Security check uh, represents money that they put into it. That is not true. That is the only way a Social Security recipient can get one dime is for the government to take money away from a worker who is, a, you know, a person who is already in the workforce. Yeah. There's, there's no trust fund. There's, I mean, it's a so-called pay-as-you-go system. And so, but I'm saying that any politician, and Social Security is going to go down the tubes. That uh, yeah. That is, uh, by 2035 or 2040, it's just going to be unsustainable. But any politician doing anything that will cope with the problem of Social Security in 2030, 2040, he, 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 it's political suicide. Interesting. Have you said, I mean, so, so we, yeah. one of the things we have to recognize, okay. I think, is that that politicians are doing precisely what gets them elected office. Yeah. And, 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 and upholding... The United States Constitution, as our founders wrote it, uh, is political suicide.
0: You know, it's funny you should mention that because my next question is... Has anybody done some work? And I'd love to work with someone in your department on this, uh, in publishing what I call a constitutional budget. In other words, if we took just the items in Article One, Section Eight, things like uh, maintaining the military, the interstate highway system, the various offices, the courts, and things like that, and we pu- and we put specific budget amounts as if that were the budget, you know, how much would that actually cost? Has anyone? It wouldn't
3: come to a trillion dollars.
0: Okay, so we're talking less than a trillion dollars.
3: That, that, see, m- see, see, most of the federal spending can characterized in the following way. Okay. That is most federal spending is where Congress takes the property of one American okay. and gives it to another American to whom it does not belong. You I don't care whether you're talking about uh, farm subsidies, business bailouts, food stamps, mm-hmm. Medicare, medic social security, et etcetera. Et cetera. It represents you know, another way of doing it, another way of expressing it, it's legalized theft. Right. That is that is, uh, Congress taking from one American and giving it to another, and that's not in the Constitution.
0: Yeah. I still would like to do that, and so I'm hoping I can write you off, off the air and see if I can get someone to, to actually put dollar amounts to each of the items in Article 1, Section 8, because I want to write an article on this. I want to publish it, and I, think if, if, and I can present that to my congressman and say, look, this is what a constitutional budget looks like. This is what you guys are doing, and I think if people are aware of that and how far we've gone from the Constitution, it, it, you know, at least it's an educational thing It might make a bit of a difference
3: Well, I, I would hope so I mean, And I would hope so because the future of our country depends on it yeah. and, and the future of liberty uh, um, uh, depends on it and, and we Americans have an awesome responsibility That yeah. is, if liberty dies in the United States It's dead for all times, for all people, all for, uh, for all over the world and so we Americans have an awesome responsibility yep. to make sure that liberty persists in the United States. And what we're doing now is the exact opposite of that.
0: Yeah, and that's why I'm trying my bit. I mean, I've got a vision for for Action Radio, and I'm getting a lot of help here and a lot of support. And I have this job to be able to do it. So, but that's part of it is to have much more of a direct representation. But here's oh, here's a yeah, question
3: for yes, sir. But here's a question for you to ponder, that is. We have to ask the question, are the American people, as human beings, are we any different from the Romans, from the Portuguese, the French, the British? These are great empires of the past. Right. that went down the tubes for precisely what we're doing, yeah. bread and circuses. Now, uh, what is it about American people as human beings that make us any different from them?
0: That's a great question. Uh, All I can think of is we have more... Uh, history, we have the Internet, we have more information at our disposal, we have more instant communication. A regular person like me that was a tour guide in San Francisco three months ago is now on radio. I can talk to you directly. Whereas people in like Roman times, I don't think they could talk directly to their senators, you know, and the government officials. They, they were, and for most people, you know, people in power are way beyond us regular folks out here. So but I think with education, with the instant communication we have, and with, with considering things that have never been considered before, like regular people writing legislation maybe that'll make a difference
3: well i I hope you're right i'm going to try (laughs) indeed i hope you're right because the future of america depends on 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 our doing something different from what we're doing
0: can i ask you a couple more questions yeah go ahead okay um one thing i was wondering is the unemployment figures whenever they're given we get the u3 rate which is like 4.9 percent we get u6 which is a little bit higher but i found a website called shadow stats by um John Miller, I think, and what he's reporting is that the actual unemployment rate is 22.7% because they include long-term discouraged workers who aren't counted in the U3 and U6 rates. Is that accurate and would that better describe why our economy is so sluggish if actually 22% of people are unemployed?
3: that that sounds a bit high but not but uh, you know I, I would put it somewhere around 15% that's okay. the number i'm hearing
2: okay
3: uh, if you include the so-called discouraged worker right. and one of the reasons why we have these i think it's about 92 million people okay. uh, who are capable of working not working The reason why we have such a number is because of the welfare state. That is, these people can afford to say, well, I'm not going to take that job at McDonald's for $7.25 an hour and $8 an hour because I can get unemployment compensation, I can get food stamps, I can get many other things. Hmm. And if you look at historically, the duration of unemployment uh, since 1948, I believe, has tripled. Okay, And and, and, uh, now, if... If not taking a job at $8 or $9 an hour, if that meant starvation, people would not do it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean starvation.
0: Well, We used to have a workfare program where you had to work something. You know, if you were an able-bodied person, you couldn't just stay on welfare.
3: That's right. And then there's another question that one might ask is that we've okay. been a nation since uh, 1792 or 1787, whatever number you uh, we wanted, uh, whatever year you want to put it. Okay. But but we we became the greatest nation on the face of earth without all these programs that people today say are absolutely necessary
0: so they're and not
3: we, we didn't have a, we didn't have any welfare until the, you know, until the roosevelt administration right uh, we didn't have an unemployment compensation i believe not until the
0: 1940s yeah and, then,
3: and and we didn't have all these programs that people say is absolutely necessary and, uh, be, uh you know before The 1950s, 60s,
0: and 70s. Yeah. Another thing we didn't have that I reported on in the previous hour was the withholding tax that came in in 1943, right in the middle of World War II. Yeah. It's it's what 62 years later or something. The article. Yeah, go ahead. And, and
3: very interestingly, it was called a victory tax.
0: Oh, interesting!
3: And, oh. and, and it was called the, it was called the victory tax because the government was saying if we can get money to the government uh, more quickly, we, it, that will help us win the war.
2: Yeah, well, now, so, so
3: as Milton, as my colleague and and mentor, Milton Friedman used right. to say, there's nothing more permanent than a temporary federal program.
0: Or oh, a tax, temporary tax. We have an issue here. We're voting on another temporary tax for 10 years.
3: Um, oh yeah, well, yeah, right. As a matter of fact, they just repealed, I think, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. the tax on telephones that was supposed to finance the Spanish-American War. <laughs>
0: Wow. What would happen if we actually could get rid of it? This is one of my legislative agenda items. If we didn't have a withholding tax and Americans had to physically, I mean, they couldn't just have an automatic deduction, but if they had to physically, every time uh, tax was due, whether it was weekly, monthly, quarterly, or by the year, what do you think that would have uh, an effect on the economy and the rate of taxes? I think it would have
3: a very important effect because the average American has no idea how much taxes he's paying. Right. The withholding tax makes it, makes, uh, Uh, paying taxes to the federal government and the state government, it makes it less painful than it otherwise would be. Now, if I had it my way, I would require, before changing anything about taxes, that people pay their taxes, (laughs) go to the post office, pay their taxes, and count it out in $5 bills and have the whole family present with them.
0: Oh wow! Well, tax collectors in the old days, when we're talking about older civilizations, they would come to your house. They would take things. They would take your livestock. They would take your your money. They would take whatever. And people knew exactly what they were paying because it was going right out the door.
3: Yeah, and and you know, and keep in mind, since uh, between I mean seventeen eighty seven mm-hmm. and nineteen thirteen, we did not have an income tax except for a short period during the during the uh, the Civil War yeah. that was ruled unconstitutional and. And we were able to run our government on sales tax and ice and excise i mean uh uh tariffs and excise taxes now but however government was very small that is. Between 1787 and 1920, except during war, Mm -hmm. the federal government was only 3% of the GDP.
0: And what's it now?
3: Today, the federal government is around 25, between 25 and 30% of the GDP. Wow. And so you need an oppressive system like the Internal Revenue Code to get that amount of money from the American people.
0: Hmm. You mentioned uh, Social Security is one of the the big exploding time bombs coming up. Um, Have you, I'm sure you have, but uh, studied the Chilean retirement system, and would a privatized system like that work here?
3: Uh, Would you repeat the question?
0: The the Chilean system where I think they have a mandatory 10% withholding, but it's a private account. It goes to you. It doesn't go to the government to pay other people. Could that work here? How could that work here? And would that solve our Social Security I
3: think that would problem? be an improvement over the status quo. Okay. If I had it my way, what I would do okay. is that I would tell every American uh, who is eight, over age 45, mm-hmm. look, we will live up to our commitments and pay you your Social Security benefits out of general revenues. Okay. For all people under 25, I would tell them, forget whatever money you put in, uh, under 45, okay. forget whatever money you put into Social Security, go out and get your own retirement system. Interesting. And so and the reason why 45 I choose 45, is that between 45 and 65, mm-hmm. if you put your money in a private retirement system, you would break even with what you would get with Social Security.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense.
3: I but see, to, what the, one yeah. thing, we can't, we can't abandon people right. who have made their plans based on what the government told them, the big lie about Social Security. So we have to find some way to take care of those people. But But... Let's say we can, what we can do, we can just prevent the system from getting worse.
0: Interesting. Um, I want to throw something open to you now because I'm, I've been asking a lot of questions, but what is going on in economic theory now? What new developments do you have? You know, are the models working? Is there something new to take a look at the economy to explain it better? What do you guys do at, at, at George Mason?
3: Well, we teach real economics. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I think that the, one one of the things that's happening to our profession, which I think is disastrous, is that it, it's becoming too mathematical. Uh, and now, as I tell, I teach my PhD. The the uh, my uh, in fall I teach the. First year PhD students, uh, uh, their economic theory, mm-hmm. and I tell them that economics is not math, and math is not economics, but math is a very, very valuable tool in economics. Okay. But too many people, uh, uh, you, you, uh distinguished places like University Spin, MIT, uh, they, 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 they uh, they, you know, they, they teach math instead of really economics. And here we teach, uh, economics, so my colleagues are top people in um, in public choice analysis and or the uh, Austrian uh, theory, Austrian theories of independence. Uh, Can inequality. you explain
0: that Austrian theory real quickly because I want to get one of those folks on with me too.
3: Well, yeah. Well, the Austrian, it, well, it has to do with the the uh, the, the uh, economics of Friedrich Hayek okay. and uh, and many others who are from the Austrian school of uh, economics. But however, as Milton Friedman used to say, he used to say, there's only two kinds of economists, uh, good economists and bad economists.
0: <laughs> And if you make the wrong I mean, forecast, yeah. yeah um, as
3: opposed to people saying Keynesian economists, Austrian right. economists, free market economists. He just says it's good economists and bad economists.
0: Okay. I've got uh, one of my wilder ideas is to have what I call Brainstorm Day, where I get uh, maybe you and Newt Gingrich and, and maybe Herman Cain and maybe Mike Huckabee and a few other folks, Ann Coulter, together, and we brainstorm questions that, that no one else is asking. And one of the questions I've been trying to uh, wrestle with is regulatory agencies, as a model, I think is a terrible way to govern. I think there has to be a new way to to enforce the laws that uh, the legislature passes and the executive signs, but regulatory agencies become these little kingdoms. They grow, they take on more responsibility, they think their regulations are, are law, and they, they're like bypassing uh, the legislative process. Is there another way to get our laws enforced that is not a regulatory agency? Is there a new model that we could come up with um, to handle that responsibility? Has anybody Well, I, I, yeah. I
3: think we just have to go back and look at our history okay that is we say well what in the world did what what in the world did we do before we had all these regulatory agencies okay. and then uh, uh, the another uh, big problem is that Uh, Congress has become uh, derelict in its responsibilities. That is, it's given much of their responsibilities to regulatory agencies. Interesting. And and the regulatory agencies, as you said, they become uh, little fiefdoms and where people uh, have uh, all kinds of legislative power that's not... uh, Uh, that that they're not supposed to have. That is, Congress has delegated much of its responsibilities to these regulatory agencies. And, matter of fact, uh, congressmen, uh, they don't understand much of what they pass. Yeah,
0: because they they pass it and then they read it.
3: (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah,
0: <right. laughs> so you'd probably be in favor, then, of a bill to have bills be one subject. And I think Thomas Jefferson wanted you know, bills to stay on the table for a year before they were voted on to give everybody input on them. Um, is and, there... and,
3: and Trump has an interesting idea. For What's each that? new regulation, they have to get rid of three or two, whatever he said.
0: Yeah, I'm, never, I'm not a great fan of formulas. In the same way, I'm not a big fan of, of term limits because you, know, you might get three corrupt people in the space of one corrupt person. And I would like to see entire you know, areas of regulation be done Away with you know, especially when they talk about the whole global warming hoax and and you know carbon dioxide being a, a pollutant when it's really a plant fertilizer. So there's a question: Has anybody accounted for the cost of this whole global warming thing? How much is that taken out of our of right. our productivity?
3: Well, there are pe- people that have uh, the Heartland Institute. Uh, okay, uh, they've uh, they've done it. And then actually for uh, for for the for you and and many of the listeners, you can go to my website. It's walterewilliams.com, dot com, and I give a uh, uh, their book recommendations and their recommended websites and their are my publications and my okay. videos and other things that are available on that website. Hmm.
0: I, I have more questions for you, but I know you wanted to go at some yes, point. Yes, we but, have. Been. But I'm just I'm, well. See, I got you now. So I'm having so much yeah. fun. But I hope I can get you back uh, sometime soon.
3: Um, oh, that'd be nice. Yeah.
0: Do, do you have any any closing comments or advice for me with, for Action Radio? Uh,
3: no. I, uh, one of the topics of my last column, I pointed out that true liberty is, uh, uh, is not for wimps. You have to be a brave person to be for liberty.
0: Liberty, not for wimps. I'm going to read that column. I'm going to present it to my audience here. And I want to thank you, Dr. Williams, so much for coming on my show. And hey, the extra time you. that you gave, I really appreciate that.
3: <laughs> okay, thank you very much.
0: All right, you have a wonderful day, sir. All right, and that was Dr. Walter Williams of George Mason University. And that is, I think, the most incredible uh, a conversation I've ever had with anybody, certainly in my, my short th- three weeks here, if this is the kind of guest you want, if you want this kind of information, uh, if this is something that um, is, is, is appealing to you, let me know please, because I'm going to try and get the very best that I can for you. Uh, we're going to take a break now. Uh, the phone number six two three thirteen thirty six two three thirteen thirty. 623-1330, 623-1330. I spent so much time you know, preparing my questions for Dr. Williams. I, I still didn't get to them all, but uh, I have more things. If you want to talk, now's your chance, because I really don't have a whole lot else to do because I really want to make sure that I maximized uh, my time with Dr. Williams. He was just fabulous. So let's take a break. It's 1330 WEBY, 830 in the morning, and I'll be back. Action radio. Dangerously cool. Uh, Sherman, set the way back machine for a present day, please. Thank you very much. Okay, mister Peabody. Anyway, so yeah, that was how it was uh, back then. So if that was three weeks into my uh, my radio career, that would have been March, what's 21st? I started on... Um, March first of 2017. So that was about, yeah, about the third week of March uh, of 2017, and that's my first big interview. And it really, it really flowed well because all the questions I had, you know, he was just hitting them. It's just, it doesn't always work out that well. Uh, sometimes it just because when you get a guest on, you never know what's going to happen. Some of my interviews have been easy. Some of them have been very challenging. Um, they usually sound good even when they're either easy or challenging. I really feel fortunate that way. Um, but sometimes. You know, you just don't know where, where a guest is going to go. And his answers were so logically leading to my next question. It really made it easy for me to, to cover a whole bunch of stuff. So that's it. You know, And Walter Williams, you know, he says it's, uh, that our liberty depends on on folks doing, you know, the kind of thing that we're doing here at Action Radio. And that's always encouraged me. So anytime I ever doubt, anytime I ever have frustrations, anytime I have a bad day on the show, which happens which rarely. Well, it's never really bad. It's just not as good. Uh, I always think of Walter Williams who said, look, you, you know, you got to do this. You got to keep going. And I was like, okay. So that's what we do. Um, so, so let's forward fast forward to present day. So this is not WBY. That station no longer exists uh, in that form. Uh, but for a while. It was a fabulous independent station. Uh, uh, Now it's owned by somebody else um, and it's a sports station or something. I don't know what they do now, but it was a place where independent voices like mine. It was the first place that action radio was ever heard was was the uh, under Mike Bates, the original W.E.B.Y. 1330 a.m. uh, Northwest Florida's news and talk leader. And so, you know, I'd, I'd love it if we're still here. I'd love to be there. I'd love being on that station. But uh, life changes, and then you just go with it. So anyway, fast forward to now. So we're on blogtalkradio.com slash Citizen Action. We have a worldwide network of, uh, of uh, folks online listening. We have a Skype line. We have a live chat. Uh, I have 21 Facebook groups. I have uh, a ton of new legislation. I've had amazing guests on. Ed Dowd yesterday. We've had Peter Navarro, Christina Bob, Robert Spencer, uh, David Stockman. We've had doctors uh, Robert Malone and Peter McCullough. Uh, we've had regular folks like Judy Mikevitz, uh who's uh, been on the show a ton. Other folks have been on the show a bunch, Brian Artis, folks like that. Uh, it's just amazing what goes on here. And I think at this point we're going to sort of – Action Radio is going to take a little bit different view. I've had most of the really – uh, important public figures that I've wanted to have on the show. So at this point, uh, uh, you know, obviously I want Trump himself. <laughs> you know, we'll go for that. But at this point, it's not so much guests I want. I want to get back to more legislation. So we need to, I have to finish the bill uh, that would ban drug advertising. Uh, I had this, a bunch of other legislation going on. I got some production stuff for the show to do, but I'm not going to be concentrating as much on guests. Guests actually take a lot of time. Uh, to have a guest on the show requires sometimes days of preparation, and I, you know, it just it really does take a lot. And again, sometimes, you know, I think most times when I've had really important guests, I've had too many questions. And it may, and this I get a little confused in the beginning of the interview. Uh, whereas uh, what I should, what I'm gonna try and do is get back to where I was when I started, and I didn't know any better, and just, you know, just have a just line up a list of questions and not have the background and some of the extra information. Sometimes you know, the more you do something, the worse you get at it. So you got to kind of go back to when you didn't know and go you know, to that time, That's what I want to start working on. All right. So I've got an uh, article here. Uh, this is from Science Insider, Science Insider. And this is from uh, 10th of January, 2017. So this would be 10 days before Trump was inaugurated. All right. So that was January 20th. So January 10th, this is about, the, this is like the day after um, Dr. Fascist said that Trump was going to have a pandemic pandemic. Um, in his, I'll look that up. Well, let's look it up right now, actually. When did, I bet you it was the day before. So isn't that interesting that Trump calls a, a vaccine convention and the day before that, Dr. Fauci says, well, Trump's going to have a pandemic. So when did Dr., I'll call it Fauci here so the internet knows what I'm talking about, announce Trump would have a pandemic? I bet you it was January 9th. I bet you it was the day before this. It just seems to be uh, something out of my mind. Uh, the, the target, Okay, let's get the. Let's go to the Huffington Post, a liberal source. Let's see what they say. Dr. Fauci warned in 2017 of a surprise outbreak during the Trump administration. When did he say that? Let me get a date here. Come on, folks, give me the date. It was at. Uh, George Washington University? They're not telling us when. Oh, come on. Tell me when. Oh, you people are terrible. <sighs> I hate when the little details like that. Let me see if I can find another article for you. This will only take a minute. I got a bit more to do on another article. Hello, hello. You're not going to tell me? Guys, where'd my, uh, where'd my information go? Let's try something else here. Oh, that article, the whole thing disappeared. I bet you it was the day before. I'll check later. I've only got about 10 minutes left in the show, and I want to cover this article. Science Insider, January 10th, 2017, 10 days before Trump gets inaugurated. I think uh, one day after Dr. Fascist says that Trump's going to have a pandemic. There was a question and answer period with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on Trump's proposed vaccine commission. So this is right when it happened. This is before COVID, before all that stuff, before anybody knew anything about that was going to happen. The only thing we had was the day before. And I don't think people took much notice of it. Dr. Fascist said that Trump's going to have a pandemic. And then all of a sudden we have a vaccine commission. I don't think that's a coincidence that he announced it before the commission. So it says environment, I'll I'll try, I'll check before the end of the show. I won't look up that again. So the article says environmental attorney, boy, they were being nice to him then, environmental attorney, Robert Francis Kennedy Jr., an, an outspoken vaccine critic. Well, again, they're being quite civil. Said today that he was asked by president elect Donald Trump and prison elect is before the inauguration. So January 10th, right? 2017, Donald Trump to chair a vaccine safety and scientific integrity commission. See, they leave that part out when they talk about this, they don't talk about it being a scientific integrity commission. So Trump already knows that there's something wrong. He knows there's something wrong with vaccines and he knows there's something wrong with scientific integrity, AKA climate change and a bunch of other stuff. I find that fascinating. Right? So then it says a Trump spokesperson, however, later said that no decisions have been made at this time about such a commission. A Trump spokesperson probably is some deep state operative or Fauci hack that wanted to discredit this thing, because you never heard about the Vaccine Safety and Scientific Integrity Commission. If it did, I'd forgotten about it, but I don't remember ever hearing about this. Certainly not that Robert Kennedy was involved, and I've known about Robert Kennedy for years, You know, especially back in the mid-'90s when I decided that vaccines were bad. Why? Because too many people were dying and too many kids were getting autism. So I knew something was wrong. I can read. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, article says Kennedy espouses discredited links between vaccines and neurological disorders. Well, who says they're discredited? I think if, if you increase the amount of vaccines and the amount of autism increases, then there might be a connection. I'm not saying that, you know, that will cause you know, what does it say? Uh, um, coincidence doesn't make causality. No, but it sure as hell you know, makes it worth investigating. You know, if you got a huge rise in autism after a huge rise in the number of, of so-called vaccines, I would venture to bet there's a connection somehow. You know, so you can't just dismiss it and say that these are discredited links. Oh, please. So it says Kennedy espouses discredited links between vaccines and neurological disorders, including autism. Right. Yeah, uh-huh. Then it says he also, he has also been harshly critical of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Well, isn't that interesting? And who uh, used the CDC, the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention? Dr. Fascist, to issue draconian, illegal, unconstitutional mandates, which he called guidelines, which people followed like mandates, uh, to destroy our country and basically suspend the Constitution, something he has no authority and nobody can do. But they did it anyway because they had the guns, right? Anyway, then it says CDC, which recommends the childhood vaccine schedule. Well, the CDC is not a regulatory agency. The, their, their, their authority comes from the Department of Commerce or from the Commerce Clause. They're, 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 they're not a regulatory agency. They don't make medical policy. The only thing they have control over that I know of is when someone comes into the country with symptoms of a communicable disease, they can stop them at the border. And that's it. That's your only job. Anyway, this is, they recommend the childhood the vaccine schedule. They have no business recommending that. There shouldn't even be a schedule. You up to parents, right? Then it says scientists have disputed Kennedy's claims, Shit, but they haven't proven him wrong. (laughs) Anyway, Science Insider caught up with Kennedy by telephone in an airport flight lounge shortly after he met with Trump in New York City. He made it clear that D.C.'s vaccine scientists and practices will be a major focus of the commission's work. Oh, you were challenging his lordship, Dr. Fascist. That's why fascists announced the day before this meeting that Trump was going to have a pandemic. You know, that's because he knew he was going to have to defend vaccines, which weren't vaccines, you know, against this uh, Kennedy commission. Oh, this is getting more interesting all the time. And we even got Steve Bannon. So between Steve Bannon and vaccine commission uh, and Robert Kennedy declaring for president at this time, at the time that Trump Trump is running for a reelection for his second second term. This is a fascinating day. I just, I hope everybody else is interested in this as I am. Dennis is vaccine scientists and practices will be a major focus of the commission's work. Experts from our interview, which had been edited for, oh, excerpts from our interview, not experts, excerpts from our interview, which had been edited for brevity and clarity appear below. What do you mean? You took out the good stuff. I always hate when they say edited. I prefer my own editing. Thank you. However, it says, what happened in the meeting? Answer. It was an hour meeting with the vice president elect. That would be Mike Pence part of the deep state uh, medical committee. So that's probably met with Mike Pence. This is when Trump thought he could trust Mike Pence. (laughs) Big mistake. So our meeting with the vice president elect came into the last. Oh, it was an hour meeting and the vice president elect came in the last 50 minutes. Yeah, that's how he could report to Dr. Fascist. You know what was going on? Betcha, betcha. Uh, The meeting was with Trump. Uh, and Kellyanne Conway, recently appointed counselor to the president. So you got two good people. Trump and Kellyanne Conway, and then you got the deep state operative. Mike Pence comes in the last 15 minutes, so he can report to Dr. Fascist so they can sabotage this commission, probably how this went. Then it says, question. Did President-elect uh, to request the meeting, or did you uh, answer? To, it was, it was the answer is Robert Kennedy talking. He called me a week ago to request it. So Trump requested this meeting of Robert Kennedy, which means he obviously knew of him, obviously knew how to get in touch with him, and obviously wanted his advice. That alone is huge. Question, why? Answer, he wants to make sure that we have the best vaccine science and the safest vaccine supply that we can have. Now, why would Trump want that before he's even president? Why would he want that 10 days before the inauguration? Why would he ask Robert Kennedy, who we obviously trust to head up this commission, because he obviously reads what Kennedy writes he obviously knows what Robert Kennedy has said about vaccines to head up a commission on not only vaccine safety, but scientific integrity. See, this is a little fascinating question. Did the president elect, that would be Trump, indicate that he doesn't believe that uh, to be the case at the moment answer. And this is where it gets interesting. Kennedy says of Trump, he is troubled by questions of the links between certain vaccines and the epidemic of neurodevelopmental disorders, including autism. And he has a number. He told me five friends. He talked about each one of them who has the same story of a child, a perfectly healthy child, who went into a wellness visit around age two, got a battery of vaccines, spiked a fever, and then developed a suite of deficits in the three months following the vaccine. Well, duh. Stop doing that to your kids. Well, obviously, if, if a bunch of kids get uh, a bunch of vaccines, which are non-vaccines, a massive fever, and then within three months they all have autism, uh, yeah. <laughs> then it says he said that he understood that anecdote was not science, uh, but said that if there's enough anecdotal evidence that we'd be arrogant to dismiss it. Those were his words. And I think he's absolutely right. So my question then is what happened to Trump between when he was concerned about vaccines and the scientific integrity, uh, and when he pushed warp speed on the country, was it because he was so terrified by COVID because of what he'd heard, that two million people were going to die if we don't do something, uh, the Neil Ferguson model. In fact, by the way, uh, Ed Dowd in his book, um, I, I did this is another question, well, it's my 90-second warning, this is another question that uh, I was going to ask Ed Dowd yesterday because he has a, a section on modeling. Neil Ferguson, two million people are going to die. And I remember Trump saying of warp speed, we saved 2 million people. So Trump bought into, for a while, the Neil Ferguson bogus model that 2 million people would die if we didn't vaccinate. Well, it looks like a million people did die, supposedly, you know, of COVID. Uh, and that's why they pushed the vaccine. So if a million people died, then the vaccine obviously wasn't very successful, was it? <laughs> and here's the thing too. Well, actually, here's the truth. If you break down the numbers uh, of the million people, Uh, most of those were, a million people did die because a million people die, plus every year, right? So a million people died. Uh, Of those million who died, um, 6% died from COVID, not with, from, okay? So that's about 60,000 people. So we're talking about those who actually died with COVID, uh, I mean, died from COVID and nothing else. So those that died from COVID and nothing else was about 6% of that million people. So 60,000 people. Of those 60,000 people, uh, Dr. Zelenko and everybody else have told me, a bunch of folks, that they could have saved about 90% with early treatments. So 90% of 60,000 would be um, all but 6,000. All right? So, so, so really, the only people who should have died from COVID was about – that was my 10-second warning. The, the only people who should have died from COVID you know, and nothing else was about 6,000 people, even with early treatments. Well, 6,000 people is like a fraction of the 80,000 that die every year from the flu. So COVID was always nothing but a weak flu bug. So that's the crazy part about it. Everything else that happened was government-induced. It was government-induced COVID, not COVID itself that caused the problems. Back to the article. It says, was there a particular vaccine he felt was culpable? And this is the the question in asking Robert Kennedy. He says he doesn't know whether it's the schedule or the sheer number of vaccines or the age at which they are given or the ingredients. Of course, I would say all of the above. Question, did the president-elect, being Trump, mention CDC? (laughs) Answer, we talked a lot about CDC and ways to increase the independence from financial conflicts at CDC in the vaccine division. See, he already knew. He already knew that the CDC was was licensing and patenting and getting royalties and making money uh, from vaccines from big pharma. He already knew. My question is, why did he change so much with COVID? Or did they start way back in 2017 preparing Trump for COVID and lying to him and using a progressive brainwashing campaign from before he was inaugurated all the way through when COVID started in 2019? That would be the question to ask. Question. You said that the commission is to delve into vaccine safety and scientific integrity. What's that second piece about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Answer to make sure that we're getting good science out of the CDC. So they're praying that too. Do we get good science out of CDC? Of course not. Question. It's all about CDC. It's not about scientific integrity in chemistry or physics or basic biology or anywhere else. Answer, exactly. CDC is the locus of most of the, the most serious problems with the vaccine program. The two divisions at CDC, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices and the Immunization Safety Office, which is where the scientists are. Oh, that's an interesting question. How many people will be on the commission? Answer, a dozen people, a mix between science people and prominent Americans. Hmm. Who will you ask to serve? Answer, I couldn't tell you. I just finished meeting with the president-elect an hour ago. Question, when you say science people, do you mean experts from the scientific establishment? Answer, prominent scientists. Do you mean prominent vaccinologists who believe in the safety and efficacy of today's vaccines? Answer, we are going to look for people who have expertise in toxicology, epidemiology, and in public health. So in other words, no. (laughs) Question, when does an elect want you to have the commission in place? Answer, we didn't talk about the details, but he expressed urgency about it that he wanted it done. We talked about a one-year commitment. And then da, 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 scientific training. Okay, that's basically it. So it says, uh, it says, question, let me ask the last two. These are the important ones. Do you have scientific training? I'm referring to Robert Kennedy. Answer, no. My background is, uh, is I'm an environmental lawyer. I'm not a scientist. But I have an expertise, I would say, in reading science and spotting junk science because that's what I do most of the time. <laughs> do with most of my time. Yeah, I, you know, it's like me, I, I, I spot, you know, crappy stories and bad law. That's what I do. Am I a lawyer? No. If I was a lawyer, I'd probably be part of the establishment, you know, doing what they tell me to do as a lawyer because I'm not a lawyer. I'm free to do all kinds of stuff. Ed Dowd is not a, um, uh, an economist, you know, but he talks about the economy. You know, he, he's not a, you know, he's not a doctor, but he's researching, uh, all the people dying from vaccines. See, this is the thing, the cult of the expert, having a degree in something Uh, does not make you the only person who can speak on it. Anybody can speak on any issue uh, if you can speak authoritatively about it. So your background in many regards is either relevant or irrelevant. Sometimes it's relevant to establish a level of expertise, but sometimes it's also relevant to establish a certain distance from that community. So the the question, rates of childhood infectious diseases have plummeted over the past half century or so. Are you out to return us to the dark ages? In other words, with the assumption that vaccines cured all the disease. Uh, that's not true. We don't make that assumption anymore. Sanitation, clean conditions, advancements, and all kinds of stuff is what really stopped these diseases. Plus, we built up immunity to them. Um, there we go. So the answer was, he says, I am for vaccines. This is Robert Kennedy. It says right here, in 2017, I am for vaccines. I have been tracking mercury and fish for 30 years, and nobody has called me anti Fish. <laughs> I love that. He says, I'm pro-vaccine. I had all my kids vaccinated. I think vaccines save lives. But we are also seeing an explosion in neurodevelopmental disorders, and we ought to be able to do a cost-benefit analysis and see what's causing them. We ought to have a transparent science and an independent regulatory agency. Nobody is trying to get rid of vaccines here. I just want safe vaccines. When have you ever heard that from Robert Kennedy? See, so that's fascinating to me. So at what point, so somewhere between 2017 and now, he became dead set against things. I think that's fascinating. This, this story is just beginning, folks. i have more articles. I might follow it up Monday. I have, I have no idea what I'm going to do. But if you take into account everything that's going on, and Marco in the Netherlands, talk to you next Monday. Uh, glad to have you out there. It's so title of the show, Donald Trump versus Robert Kennedy, the no deep state 2024 election. If Donald Trump, which I believe, will take the Republican nomination, he will be fighting the Republican deep state. If Robert Kennedy can get the Democrat nomination, big long shot, because the deep state's behind Brandon, that would be the best possible situation. If we could have a Robert Kennedy, Donald Trump election where they actually talk about the issues and not all the stupid stuff that the deep state wants to talk about, and if we can get the cheating down, because the Republicans are not going to cheat on behalf of Donald Trump, and I don't think the Democrats are going to cheat on behalf of Robert Kennedy, we might actually have a decent election. Hmm. So you have the two people most likely to block the deep state out of the election. Interesting, huh? We'll pick this up again. Greg Penglis for Action Radio at blogtrackradio.com slash citizenaction. Legislative site, light, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. Go to the website. It's all self-explanatory. Explanations for everything I do here. In fact, I'll write an article on this uh, for Substack, gregpenglis.substack.com. Uh, and of course, if you want to advertise with us, get in touch with me. My email, greg at writeyourlaws.com. And if you'd like to contribute quickly, givesendgo.com slash action radio. See you all Monday morning at 7 a.m. Central Time.